Pie, and welcome to Coco Disaster. I'm Chorpsaway. I'm Zane Zero. And I'm Jordan. That's right! We have a very special guest, Jordan's back on the podcast to roll out the red carpet for the Anime of the Year 2018 Awards show. Woo! That's right. I'm just here to do Woo! the introductory manual labor and get my paycheck and then I'm out. <laughs> Steal some free coffee when I'm half- stepping out of the door. <laughs> Grab a third bagel on the way out. <laughs> it only took us until the spring to get around to this, but it's finally time to count down the best and maybe the not-so-best anime of 2018. Were there any bad ones? There were a uh, couple. I mean, there were some. I didn't watch a lot of them, so I can't, like... I mean, I can judge. I will judge, but, you know, like... <laughs> I absolutely will judge. Absolutely. No, that, that that's the kind of podcast this is. Mm. So, you know, there's some judging to be had, but also, we're excited to talk about good anime. There was some good anime this, this year. Yeah. Absolutely, it was a really good year. Yeah, I loved it. There's some really good stuff, and a bunch of stuff I never got around to, so, you know, look forward to doing that one day. Oh. <laughs> you know, when I finally Jorge, retire. How can you do an Anime of the Year podcast if you haven't even watched every Anime of the Year? Unlike yeah, I guess me. You're right. Uh, it's like it's like Netflix said, if you haven't watched an entire thing, you're not allowed to criticize it. There also, you if you watch the whole thing, you're not allowed to criticize it. Because then you're a... <laughs> then you're a mark. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, so with three people here, uh, it's probably going to be a little bit long, so let's jump right in to our unofficial official awards. These are the things that we don't really, like, you know, quantify. We just, It's just a place to talk about things where, uh, you know, we just we just want to give it a little attention to something. And first off, Louis the one we Armstrong. have is... <laughs> That's right! Louis Armstrong He made a comeback music. this year, folks. That's right. <laughs> We haven't, uh, unfortunately, we haven't gotten to the JoJo's part where Nut King Call is, so. <laughs> Can't enjoy that yet. There's no JoJo for Louis Armstrong, right? There's no... Um, no, I don't think so. Oh. Okay. <laughs> oh, we're checking now. <laughs> well, uh, uh, you may have joked, but Nut King Call is a stand. I know Nut King Call is. <laughs> oh. I don't know why it's not Nat King Cole, but... Oh, there's a okay. There's a title of a chapter in Stone Ocean called "What a Wonderful World." Good enough. There you go. That'll do it. All right. Anyways, <laughs> so uh, first up is the the best anime that wasn't from 2018 that we watched this year. Yeah. And uh, Zane started this off with uh, one in particular that uh, I have enjoyed the title of for a long time and have no no idea what it's about. So tell me about Gun X Sword. Gun X Sword. So. I got the idea to watch this because the next Super Robot Wars game that's coming out has Gun X Sword in it, and I kept hearing, like, oh, this show, this show is good. And I was like, okay, I'll, I guess I'll search for it, and I found out that Funimation has it all on YouTube, so I decided, okay, why not? I'll watch it. And uh, Gun X Sword is really fucking stupid in a good way. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, so Gun X Sword uh, follows the adventures of Van who seems like a cool, mysterious drifter type, but uh, slowly over the course of the series, you find out that he's just this weird man-child that just keeps drifting around <laughs> and solving problems. Oh, so it's a shonen anime. Yeah, basically. <laughs> and he is joined on his quest by a girl named Wendy, who is trying to find her missing brother. And 
One of the things I like about this show a lot is that every episode feels like Van and Wendy stumble into a completely different robot series and just kind of bumble <laughs> around through it. And it's really cool. I, I like that a lot. Uh, there is an episode very early on that uh, has a tribute to Voltron with old men piloting a Voltron and it rules and they become main characters later on. But I think another thing that I liked about Gun X Sword is that our protagonist, you eventually find out that he is out for revenge against the man with a claw hand for killing his wife as they were getting married. And the entire, throughout the entire show, Van never becomes dissuaded from his quest for vengeance and actually fulfills it in the end. And that's not something you'd see in anime a whole lot, where they, where it kind of just sticks to their guns. It, the whole show kind of reminded me a bit of, uh, Tales of Berseria, which was just about a gang of misfits fighting against this group of folks that was bring, you know, law and order to the world and all that. But I, I like Gun X Sword. It was a lot of fun. It's a lo it's very stupid in a good way, but uh <laughs> I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the adventures of uh of Van and Wendy and the other misfits in this group. I'm a little confused right now. Is Gun X Sword the anime where the character always has a gun and a sword because he goes to multiple universes and in some universes the guns don't work? Or is that something no. else? Oh. No, that is something else. I think it is called Gun X Sword because he has a gun holster, but it but when he draws it, it's a sword. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> also, his rival character, who has the exact same backstory that he does, except he is even angrier, has a revolver <laughs> with a really, really long stock, so it looks like he has a katana. Oh, like the Joker in the <laughs> wow. first Batman movie. Yes. <laughs> it's stupid. I love this show. <laughs> Great. I'm glad. Remember when uh, Jack Jordan, you have a very special one? Oh god. What oh no, I was gonna say, remember when Jack Nicholson decapitates uh, Batman's parents <laughs> in honor killing? <laughs> wow. Finally something new with the Batman <laughs> universe. <laughs> Alright, so Jordan, you have one on here, and it's one that uh, you know, ha has lived on in the uh in the Coco Disaster mythos. What? I feel like the the mythos of uh, Coco Disaster will remember uh, this <laughs> this particular entry on the list of shows not from 2018. No, I don't watch anime. No, what? what? What fucking podcast do you think you're on? Who do you fucking think you are? I thought this was Coco Disaster, the the podcast on which we review the sexiest new hot cocoa products. Um, well, you know, actually, uh, my local supermarket <laughs> has this little, uh, plaque hanging by the front door where apparently their, uh, their, uh, full fat chocolate milk was, um, was rated as the best in the whole country. Oh, wow. Yeah. Which is surprising because they're like a, a B brand store. Uh, speaking of B, I watched the first five episodes <laughs> of Bleach this year. Um, as mm -hmm. I've been known to do, I didn't make it to the usual full 20. <laughs> because as some of you might know, I'm of the opinion that uh, the first arc of Bleach is really good and then the rest not so much. Uh, and sometimes I, I go back to re-experience the, the glory days, if you will. Um, and <laughs> mm -hmm. I partially did that again this year and I, I vaguely enjoyed it. That's great. I'm glad that you can go back over and over and still find joy in the very beginning of Bleach. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you you wanted to talk about B. 
I'm here to talk about D. That's right, Vampire Hunter D. Bloodlust. Oh, you didn't put this on the on the list. I uh, did you now. Did. Oh my god, <laughs> that's real sneaky <laughs> gotcha. of you. But um, as far as stuff that like was my like first time watch this year that you know I got around to, I think Vampire Hunter D. Bloodlust was like my favorite thing just because of how much of a uh, surprise it was. Like kind of knowing Vampire Hunter D.'s name and not really knowing what the the series was going into it. It was very different than what I expected. I expected it to be a little bit schlockier. I definitely expected it to be a little more, like, hyper-violent, but actually it's, like, really cool. And, like, I don't know, it's very slow in a very interesting way that really, like, gives attention to its characters and its world-building in a way that's very entertaining and charming. That's interesting, because uh, as a teenager, I read a lot of the Vampire Hunter D books, and they are extremely schlocky. Like, you wouldn't tell it from the artwork on the cover and what have you, but man, it reads like fan fiction, especially the earlier <laughs> entries. Huh. Yeah. It's all like, and then D suddenly teleported behind the driver and cut his <laughs> lungs out or whatever. Cut his fucking <laughs> dick <Nothing> personal, pal. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing personnel kid. Nothing personnel kid, and the D has like the big Vampire Hunter D flourish on it. <laughs> and, and then the Count said, that guy is inhuman. <laughs> I definitely think the the film did a really good job of setting like a good consistent tone to it. So maybe it's like an elevation of the source. I think so, yeah. And it really does capture um Yoshitaka Amano's art style in a way that like I basically would have never imagined in animation. Hmm. Just cuz he has such a like painterly sort of like very, you know, a very particular sort of art style that seems hard to capture in anything but like illustrations that he does. Right. So yeah, I think that was really cool, too. And then an- another unofficial award I wanted to go over is just, like, a best recap. Because you know what? Okay, so let's say it. Uh, recap episodes, for the most part, bad. Yep. Yeah. But sometimes, you know, they-, they elevate it in a way by, like, you know, having, like, a character do it in their voice and, you know, like, add commentary to it or something like that. It's really funny that you said elevate, because whenever I think of recap episode, the first thing I think of is an episode of Totally Spies where they're stuck in an elevator, and the whole episode is just (laughs) Uh them going over ways in which Whoop is a terribly managed company who just plays games with their (laughs) lives. (laughs) Oh, And so, like, when it comes to recap episodes, I think, like, recreators from a couple years back, where, like, it's all done in a character's voice and is very, like, kind of snarky looking back on all the things um, that have happened throughout the series so far. And this year, I think we got one that was pretty good, which is the Mob Psycho 100 Reagan OVA, which is about um, Reagan kind of pawning off writing his biography to Mob. And it does a thing where it's like, he takes credit for all of the things that happened in season one. So it shows footage from season one but it's just plastered Reagan's face, like, really poorly over all of the scenes where Mob or any of the other characters is doing a psychic thing. (laughs) That's pretty good. So it's just, like, a single static face over and over throughout, like, 10 or 12 scenes as they describe what happened in the story. Bones is really slipping, man. They don't do it the way they used to. (laughs) I just find that really charming, because he also, like, 
is like showing off the things he's written to various characters from the series and all of them are sort of like critiquing it and helping him rewrite it to be more accurate and to give mob more credit <laughs> and so when they reagan finally gets it back he just reads through it and basically just is like and then reagan did nothing and let everyone else take over <laughs> and then he took all the credit and he, he feels so bad that he ordered like a thousand copies of this thing and he can't sell them anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and so I find that just like a really charming premise for a setup for that. And then I have one as well. It's the uh, the second half of the Thunderbolt fantasy movie called The Sword of Life and Death. Uh, the first half of it was just a um, basically a, a prequel taking place before the events of the series about uh, the screaming Phoenix killer. <laughs> but the second half is uh, is a recap episode of what happened in season one where uh Shang meets some guy who's uh impersonating him and using that to like live uh, an easy life and uh he basically describes all the events of season 1 except uh this guy is in there instead of Shang and they actually went through <laughs> and since this is you know a puppet deal and all that they actually re uh refilmed all of those scenes with this new puppet with like really <laughs> dumb, cheesy extra effects to make it even more fantastical than it actually was. And it's really, really funny. But they actually managed to give the imposter, you know, a decent bit of, like, why he's being an imposter and all that, and it's like, and develops Shang a bit more, too, and what kind of guy he is. So it, it, it pushes the story forward a bit more between season one and season two, but I just really like the idea of, of Shang just being like, okay, I guess there's an imposter of me. That's great. I'm really glad both our recap episodes are just, like, people trying to take the place of the actual main characters. Yeah. I'll be honest, that sounds super good, but I feel like it goes against the spirit of being a recap episode, but because a lot of actual work was put into it. <laughs> right? It's too good for that's, a recap. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, how much work can you put into a recap episode? If it wouldn't be called episode 11.5 on Crunchyroll, then it doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think about that, like, uh, again, the recreators one, where it's like, there is quite a bit of extra work because it is, like, one of the characters, uh, Meteora, just, like, talking through the whole thing in, like, a void, but also being like, mm, you know what? Thinking back on it, I think I want to make my own original character to be in this story <laughs> instead of it's me. It's me, but sexier. Right, and, just ma and she just makes her but sexy because she has no idea how to be creative. <laughs> and so good. God bless. Yeah, that was a good episode. But now, it's time for us to talk about the real awards. The official official awards. Yeah, these are the official official awards. These are the ones that are going down on the docket. These are the ones going down in history as Coco Disaster made these decisions. Let it be known that we are accredited anime reviewers, but the ones, the previous ones were like off institute grounds. <laughs> right. These ones were hard at work. We are here in the papal church. The white smoke will go up when we're done with the recording. <laughs> and they will know that another year of anime is officially allowed to begin. Finally. Hooray. And so, what better place to start than the best OP of 2018. And now, when I think about this, I think about not only is the song good and, like, get you uh, pumped up for the thing that's coming, but, like, also, like, the visuals and the thematics of it and how it fits into the greater story, you know? Right. So, Jordan, why don't you start off in talking about your favorite OPs? Oh, I did not expect this. I thought we were going in order, but that's okay. Um, 
So, uh, my f the first one on my list is uh, from the anime Hanebado, and it's uh, Futari no Hane, or uh, Two Feather Feathers by Yurika. Um, this is an OP that I liked right from the start when I first saw it, but I actually grew to appreciate it more uh, later on. Because uh, the thing about it is that it has a very specific structure to it. It has uh, this bit at the start where uh, all these character movements of them playing badminton are, are like animated in great detail. I'm pretty sure it's animated on ones with like all this really uh, flashy, with all these really flashy colors and it just looks lovely. And then there's sort of a, a break in the middle and then at the end, the same thing returns. And at first I thought they just reused the same animation and that sort of ruined it for me, because it's like, okay, you did this really labor-intensive bit of animation, and that's awesome, but then it's kind of weird to reuse that. That feels like you're kind of losing the point of it all. But then, by the end, I realized that it's not reused animation. They actually carry through the movements from the first bit and, like, follow up on those. And that's super cool. So you have, like, uh, for example, at the f in the first part of the OP, you have characters you have like a foot twisting on the ground and then the second part you have that foot taking off from the ground and it's just it looks really good i think it's probably the best looking op of this year and the song is really good too it's, it's a really charming just like pump up anthem uh it doesn't really fit the show that much as i guess we'll cover later on um but i really liked it i guess separated from that it gets you pumped for badminton, which is decidedly not how any of the characters feel about badminton. No. Well, I mean, like two of them, you know, and they kind of ruin it for everybody else, but... <laughs> right, at least they're having fun. Yeah, that's right. Well, they're not having fun, but they are into it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're into it. I guess you're right. They're into it. I'm not sure anyone's having fun. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe by the end. I hope so. So my second one is from the uh, Junji Ito collection, and it's uh, Shichiten Bato no Blues, uh, which I am told means writhing in agony blues, but I have not been able to verify that because I was only able to find that in one source. Uh, and it's by the group The Pinballs. Uh, this is a bit of a weird one because I actually did not like the Junji Ito collection at all. We'll be talking about it more later on. Um, <laughs> but this OP really provides a better image of what someone would want out of an anime based on Junji Ito's works than the actual show does. The imagery in, in it is super interesting, which is surprising because it's not a very expensive looking OP, but they use what they have very well. So you have like all these sort of art deco patterns moving in the background. And then on, on the foreground, you have all these uh, pieces of art. And a lot of the time it moves sort of, it looks... Uh, sort of like paper handcrafted animation and it's really creepy it has a, a really creepy vibe to it uh, that the show itself usually doesn't manage to match uh, one thing it really reminded me of was um, a an episode of Marble Hornets which was a, uh, a Slender Man themed uh, web, ser web series and they had like this alternative channel where uh, a side character uploaded all these creepy videos and there was a similar thing there where the, the, the style of the video was all about these, these paper cutouts writhing around and it looked kind of gross and unreal. Uh, and this OP matches that really well. Um, it also has this really neat imagery where, um, where there's a naked lady and there's like, she's bleeding, but instead of it showing blood, like the bloodlines are just cut out of her and the background seeps through it. Uh, it's just visually, it's a really interesting opening. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, the music is really good too, even though, again, it, it doesn't really fit with the show, but I really like it. It's like this hardcore funk rock jazz rock jam that just goes hard for a minute and a half. Like once it starts, it does not slow down until the very end. I think on the whole, like a hardcore rock song doesn't really fit with a Junji Ito collection. I guess sort of the, the, the fact that it never lets up on the tension does fit. So in that sense, it is very good. Mm-hmm. All right, cool. Yeah. So this uh, next one is uh, from High School Girl and it's New Stranger by Sora Tob Sanaka. This one, I'll be honest, I mostly like it for the first 10 seconds. <laughs> I don't know about you, Chorps. Yeah, I definitely get that. Like, it's it's a very cool first 10 seconds. Yeah, so the first 10 seconds is just like this amazing guitar sweep picking session at a very weird, uh, like, it's in, like, it's in five eighths. What's that? Oh, it's a weird time signature. It's a weird time signature, yeah. It's super math rocky. Yeah, it's such a wild way to start an introduction. And then in the background, you have like, uh, in time with the, with the rhythm of the sweet picking, you have like, uh, windows coming into frame on silhouetted buildings, and it all looks super interesting. And then after that, you have some video game stuff, and that's all right. Uh, but it's mostly <laughs> those, those 10 seconds were the best 10 seconds in anime openings this year. And that's why I liked it so much. <laughs> I, I can definitely agree, like, it's it's such a strong and, like, evocative opening. Mm. And then also, it's like, in the background, you're watching, like, actual real footage of Street Fighter 2. Because, yeah. <laughs> like, that is the focus of High Score Girl, is it's, like, about people who, like, connect over competitive video games, yeah. basically. Speaking of that, there is also this really cool shot near the end where uh, you see two of the main characters sitting at arcade cabinets that are, like, back-to-back with each other, which is uh, pretty common for, like, competitive games. And the the camera rotates around them, and then partway into it, the screen disappears, so you see them uh, not not looking at each other because they're looking at their controls, uh, but, like, facing each other. And I saw that, thought that was a really interesting thematic link uh, that they visualized very well. That's cute. And then, to even show, like, their, their further friendship, like, it sweeps through that shot, and then they're both sitting next to each other playing the game. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's, like, very cute. Um, and also, uh, they used silhouettes uh, very well in this opening, which uh, I think is no- noteworthy because this is a 3D anime and a 3D opening. And 3D silhouetting can look really weird and blocky when it's not done right. So, I think that deserves uh, to be mentioned. that uh, They managed to make the OP look really good while using silhouettes despite that. Yeah, totally. Uh, let's see, that was uh, number three. Number four, uh, this one uh, is a bit of a strange pick because it's from an anime I didn't actually see. Uh, it's from Release the Spice. It is called Spato Spy and Spice by Tsuki Kage. <laughs> so this this opening has all the stuff I like. Uh, it has vibes, both musically and visually. Like, again, it starts with uh, a lot of really cool, like, vibrant colors set in, in tone in the music. It's got... Just, like, the the song itself is more of, like, a pump-up rock jam. But I really enjoy <clears throat> the way it's combined with, like, the, the action visuals. Because uh, it's, it's, it's a very light song when I think for an action anime these days, you expect the level of rock they're at to be more and more severe. I actually, like, know much about Release the Spice, but I, I get the idea that it is a fairly serious anime despite all of the, all the bright pink colors and all that. <laughs> Maybe not for the first half. All right. 
but yeah, despite that, I think this is uh, this is a really good IP uh, OP. The song is like super lovely. I really like the way they sort of they frame everything because the characters in the show have pretty bad costumes. Like they're really revealing. <laughs> I mean, the designs of them are pretty cool, but they're really revealing, and they're teenage girls, so that's always like an angle that I don't really like them to dive into. Um, but they frame them in such a way in this opening that they look fairly respectable, and that's pretty good. I'm just mad at that song because it makes it really obvious that the ending, that Spice is just Spy and Spice combined. Yeah. Really want to lean in hard on that. Look, guys, if you guys don't get the pun, look, we're, we're working it out for you guys. Guys, we're clever. See, here's the thing. When you have a, a complicated, layered narrative, like re- in Release the Spice... You can't be having your viewers left behind, all right? They need to be in on that baseline or else they're going to be, lo- be lost before the eye catcher even comes in, you know? Right. <laughs> Sometimes you got to lead the audience by the hand a little bit at the start or else things are going to go poorly. Um, and finally, I have uh, the second opening from uh, Golden Kamui or the opening from the second season. Um, it's Reime by Sairi and My First Story. Uh, this is a really interesting one because I think it was a lot better than the first OP, uh, mostly because this one sells the balance between like the the sort of serious survival and like hunting aspects of uh, Golden Kamui with the very aggressive comedy that it has. Because mm-hmm. Golden Kamui is a series that has you know pretty normal type of like uh, silly faces and characters doing like goofy things that they probably shouldn't do as comedy. But they lean into it so far that it feels like a very different type of comedy. Uh, so you have a bit in this OP where characters are just very aggressively chomping down on a leak. Uh, and that is, that is definitely like something sort of has that Golden Kamui feeling to it. And I really like that. I also think they do a really good job of sort of introducing the characters in uh, like using very limited screen time. Um, because, you know, it's, it's that kind of OP where a character sort of shows up for three seconds and some of them maybe don't even get more than a still frame. There's, for example, one bit where, um, the way all we get to know about a character is that, uh, their, their shirt pops and they unleash their sick pecs. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That sounds like the most golden Kamui thing in the world. There you go. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's all, you know, it's all very, it's all very efficient. And I think it really uh, sells the tone of the show and gets you excited for it. And I think that's what most, what's most important, especially for a show like Golden Kami, which needs a little bit of help getting you excited for it. Mm-hmm. And those are my best OPs. Well, they're not my best OPs. I didn't make all of them, um, but they are my <laughs> favorite ones. Yeah, I drew these. <laughs> Yeah, so great. Um, I'll go with mine now. So, from Jordan's list, I also had the opening to Hanebato and High School Girl on them. The three others, I had um, Shiny Days by Asuka from Laid Back Camp. And, first of all, the song's very good. It uh, starts out and you're basically listening to I Want You Back by the Jackson 5. Absolutely. Wait, isn't it more like ABC? It's like both of those. Or is that the same song? Okay. I feel like they have very similar parts. That, yes. I guess you're right. You could argue either. But um, I think, like, so Laid Back Camp, pretty kind of chill slice of life, but the sort of, like, fun and adventure aspect of all of these characters going out camping is really explored in the OP, where it just kind of starts out with all of them sort of 
it's sort of like a, like a stage play kind of thing where they have like backgrounds that are like giving off the idea that they're camping, but they're very clearly just like in an, in a void cube. Cause like all of these, um, all these backings also have all of the credits on them. Mm-hmm. And it eventually builds into sort of like just shots of sort of the camping sites that they go to throughout the series until it finally ends with all of them getting into a tent together and it shoots off into space. Yeah, buddy. Just like in the show. Just like in the show. Um, and so, like, it just, it, it's very much like something that's really supposed to bring you up and sort of lift your spirits for what is very much just a cutesy sort of, like, feel-good slice of life series. And I think it works really well for that. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it just kind of picks you up to just kind of, like, lay you down and, like, let you enjoy uh, 24 minutes of a bunch of girls just, like, going out camping. Yeah. I really uh, like the bit where um, I don't remember what she's called. I think she's called uh, Anna, like Rin's friend, mm-hmm. uh, where she uh, gets the dog who's flying outside of the tent and then hugs him. Yeah, the fact that they put a lot of emphasis on the dog, very good. The dog's really good. Very good dog. Mm-hmm. Uh, then next up, sort of mm, on a very different sort of spectrum, I have the opening to Legend of the Galactic Heroes, uh, The New Thesis. And this is Binary Star by Suwano Hiroyuki. Um, so Suwano has a very particular uh, music style. He's very good at writing exactly one song about 400 different ways. <laughs> but I think that the opening to Legend of the Galactic Heroes is like, you can definitely still feel some of that flair from him and sort of like the vocals and stuff. But it's, it's very, it's very different from a lot of his other work because I feel like it's trying to capture the feeling of almost like a live action drama from like the era where the original Legend of the Galactic Heroes would have come from. So like, like everything about it really feels like they're trying to hone in on the idea that this is a very like human story by making it seem like it could be live action, just in the way that it's framed and sort of the way that it introduces the characters, just like cut-ins on the scene, like just like short bits that you could imagine they just stripped from the show in tune with shots of, like, the spaceships and stuff as they go to war. And so, like, I I really appreciate that sort of dedication to really capturing this certain sort of, like, feel and concept for the OP and the way that the song really, like, tries to increase that by sort of being, like, a very, like, rock ballad sort of, like, very heavy on strings, very high on sort of, like, getting you prepared for sort of like space melodrama in the particular way that Legend of the Galactic Heroes does that. It feels like it's very beholden to the idea of like when Legend of the Galactic Heroes came out. Like this is an update, not like an upgrade. Like it's still trying to capture that original feeling. All right. That's interesting. You know, uh, before you mentioned it, I did not realize that the title was supposed to be Dinoyethesa. I thought it just said Dinoya these and I didn't I didn't understand why it was called that. Dinoya these nuts. <laughs> that would be an upgrade, not update, alright. Right, now that's an upgrade. Can you imagine if like the the just like one of the big ships from Legend of the Galactic Heroes, it's just the same. Except it has a colossal pair of truck nuts hanging off the back. <laughs> That's how you know they're truly evil. <laughs> I mean, from what I saw from uh, from the one episode I watched, the ships are already pretty damn phallic. Oh. Uh, yeah, I they're basically just like, 
huge, long, like, spaceships. Like, very much in sort of the, we had to construct a lot of these very fast (laughs) for our set. But then the last one I have on here is uh, Pop Team Epic by Sumire Uesaka from, and you may have guessed it, the anime Pop Team Epic. If you hadn't said it, I would have asked for a joke what anime it was from. <laughs> oh, thank you. No, I, well, thank, thank you for, uh, you know, uh, holding on to the joke for that. But um, I really like the Pop Team Epic OP. I think it's very, as much as it can be, I think it is very indicative of what to expect from Pop Team Epic. It kind of opens up on this shot of like a, C- uh, a CRT TV that's playing like a really low quality animation version of things you'll see later in the show, right before it gets smashed by uh, a baseball bat with nails in it. Yeah, buddy. And uh, in interviews, they said, oh yeah, we actually smashed a TV for this. So, you know, dedication to quality. But everything else is sort of like, kind of non-sequitur sort of scenes that just sort of, they they don't appear to have anything to do with Pop Team Epic, and then something will be, like, ripped away, or, like, the the focal point will change in such a way that it's, like, very clearly, like, the Pop Team Epic characters kind of forcing their way into the shot. And it's just, like, non-stop sort of, like, visual um, stimulation. And I think that, again, it's just, like, if you want to sell Pop Team Epic as much as you could sell Pop Team Epic, like, this seems like the way. It's just like, yeah, it's going to be a whole bunch of fucking nonsense, and you have no idea what you should expect coming into it. And so I think that that's what really captures the essence of the show in a way that is very good. And, like, it's just very, um, it's a very abrasive sort of, like, pop song as well that's playing through it that I think, again, like, plays a bit more into sort of the the pop team epic idea like you know these characters may look cute but they are going to be doing extremely non-cute things yeah if it was gonna like be the mega slice of life anime if it was gonna be a, a jazz song it would have to be called jazz team epic so exactly right no of course <laughs> uh thanks jordan you're welcome i'm no always glad it. to have you back <laughs> all right zane what's uh what about you Alright, well, I feel bad because I didn't put nearly as much thought into my choices as y'all did. Well, maybe that just means your opinions are more pure, you know? (laughs) Uh, Well, I'm just going to go for the one that I have the the least thought put into, which is uh, Winding Road by Man With A Mission, which is the OP for Golden Kamui Season 1. I just picked that because I really like the song. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Sometimes that's enough. Yeah. Sometimes that's, that's sometimes a song can like just carry it like the song just feels really good for for the you know the show or just in general mm-hmm. yeah like there are bands I've gotten into just because they had they did a good op for a show okay the first thing I, that comes to mind is like uh is Bradio who did the op for uh for uh it was you're flyers. all thin ice right now <laughs> I feel bad for forgetting uh, uh, death parade yeah death parade I. <laughs> For a second word escaped me, but yeah, Bradio is really good. But anyway, um, <laughs> the ones, that, the other ones, I have a little bit more thought put into. At least, uh, first one is um, "Bright Burning Shout" by Takanori Nishikawa, who you may know as TM Revolution. And uh, by looking at his Wikipedia page, I learned that TM Revolution stands for Takanori Makes Revolution. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping it would stand for the Minecraft. 
<laughs> Thank you, Mr. Hot Limit. <laughs> but yeah, uh, bright burning shout. Other than I just like the song, uh, it's a lot of um, the one of the two main characters, uh, Nero Claudius, swinging her sword at shadows, which is what a lot of the sh- a lot of the show deals with is swing is uh, fighting the shadows of the past to sort of reclaim a future for humanity, which, uh, eh, that, that, it's, it's a lot of nice visuals for, uh, a show like this, and because it's Shaft, it's, it's pretty well animated. But, yeah. Uh, my third one is, uh, Howling Sword by Shuhei Keita, which was the opening for Garo Vanishing Line Season 2. This was a good one. Yeah, I, I liked it a lot, but, uh, I feel like it's a bit better animated than the uh, the first OP was. It it sells what the second season is going for, which is uh, our main cast is going on a journey to try and find out what the hell El Dorado actually is. It shows all of our main cast. It gives you a good idea of like the seriousness of of the second season now that they're now that they're on this road trip. I'm super fond of it for that reason. For my fourth one, I guess I have a. Uh, his slash story, also by uh, <laughs> by uh, TM Revolution, but the uh, the actual music done was done by Sano Hiroyuki. Uh, I like this one a lot, not just because the music is good, but because they actually managed to weave it into the actual show itself in a very very good way of uh, of the character who is actually voiced by TM Revolution singing it to fight against a giant dragon. Oh, that's cool. Oh, that rules. Yeah, I love it for that reason alone. <laughs> <laughs> and then the dragon's like, wow, I think that might be one of my best OPs of the year. <laughs> <laughs> He's so stunned, he gives up the horn they were after. <laughs> and then uh, my last one is uh, Fighting Gold by Coda from uh, Jojo Part 5, Golden Wind. And I like this one a lot more for uh, for the meta reason of... This is the first time Coda and, um, uh, I, I know it was a collab between someone else, but, uh, hold on one sec. Uh, Toshiyuki Omori. Yeah, I, I think this was the first time they collaborated ever since doing the, uh, the original, uh, Evangelion opening, I believe it was. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it was the first time they collaborated since then, and I think that's really, really cool, and it shows by being a a really good dynamic OP that sort of gives you an idea of, like, all of our main characters' stands and what they do, and, uh, yeah, it's really cool, and I like it a lot. I really like the opening of Fighting Gold 2. Like, I I really like just, like, the the guitar riffs going into, like, sort of the pizzicato strings and stuff, like, the... uh, Again, like, the first ten seconds, I really love the music <laughs> of, and everything else is good. But everything else is still good, but, like, that first te- ten seconds, like, the way it's, like, cutting around is, like, very cool. Yeah. Like I said, y'all put a lot more thought into this than me. I put a lot more thought into my other categories. <laughs> I think this one also uh, sort of does a does a better job of copying the, the visual stylings of JoJo's than the Par 4 intro did. Like, it's a lot of... Uh, like a lot of hue shifts, which has always been a big part of JoJo's. Uh, yeah. Just like a lot of repetitive, or not, well, repetitive has a negative connotation to it, but I mean it in a good way. Repetitive use of color. Um, a very, <laughs> yeah. a pretty, very pretty looking OP in ways I think the part four OP, or the first one at least, was not. Yeah, that's fair. Though Crazy Noisy Bizarre Town, very good track. It is still <laughs> pretty a good, good song. song. Yeah, it was. All right. So let's count down. What y'all thought was your favorite one of the year, starting again with Jordan. Uh, now, before I do that, I have one honorable mention I like to make. 
Uh, actually, it's two, but okay. the second one's really short. Um, so the first one is um, from My Hero Academia uh, Season 3, the first half. It is uh, Odd Future by Uverworld. Uh, this is a very strange one for me because uh, when I first heard this, uh, I hated it. Uh, and in some ways, I still do. I distinctly remember uh, tweeting something along the lines of, uh, I've never heard a song that slaps less hard than the new My Hero Academia <laughs> opening. Oh, right. This is the one where you were like, I can't believe it takes a whole minute to have the beat drop. <laughs> well, see, that's the funny thing. That is actually, I, I, I started paying attention to this while I was looking through the OPs for this year. Um, right at the minute mark is usually when the chorus starts in an OP. For this song, it's at a minute and 15, which means there's like 10 <laughs> seconds of time for the actual chorus to exist before it needs to like uh, go away again. Um, so as an OP, I think this one's actually really bad. Like, um, it has it has no vibes. Um, the 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 verse is a million hours long. Uh, it has two pre-choruses, each of which are a billion hours long. Um, and then uh, the the chorus isn't even that good. And uh, the chorus is actually like the animation is mistimed. So when when the chorus kicks in, it does finally like really pump up, and it has it, it kicks into like this footage of of All Might having his sans eye glow up and, like, him powering up, and the, the ground starts, like, moving around him like his Dragon Ball Z, but it's, like, half a beat off, so it doesn't look as cool as it really should look. But the thing is, the full version of this song is actually extremely good. Huh. <laughs> like, it has a softer version of the chorus at the start, uh, it has a really good saxophone breakdown, it doesn't actually have the double pre-chorus, which is really weird. Like, I, they cut this song in the worst way. Well, they cut that up way. just for the anime. <laughs> yeah. They, they cut this song in the worst way imaginable for, imaginable for the OP, and I think that's a real shame. <laughs> and that's why it's an honorable mention. It fucking sucks as an OP, but it's a good song. I was about to say, I thought, I, is this our first dishonorable mention? <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, it all depends on your perspective. Um. And the second one, uh, I am only mentioning it because I think, Trops, you forgot it. Uh, I'm, we're only mentioning this one for the amazing name. Uh, it's from Gundam Build Fighters, and it's Infinity by the band Swanky Dank. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about Swanky Dank! Um, and, and while I was looking through the OPs, or the EDs, rather, I found out that they also did an ED for Black Clover. So, uh, Swanky Dank really had a hit year in 2018. <laughs> Someone remembered Swanky Dank. Yeah. Someone's gotta, right? You just bought swankmemes.com. Oh, yeah. I don't know if either of you get that reference. <laughs> uh, at some point this year, uh, not too long ago, Elon Musk tweeted, just bought stankmemes.com. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> Is this right before he got fired? <laughs> no, it was way afterwards. So I guess he's really, he, oh, nice. he really managed to climb, climb his way back up after that. <laughs> God bless. I'm glad. Yeah. Uh, anyway, my actual winner for uh, best OP of the year is uh, Two Feathers from Hanebato. All right. Tr hell yeah. Do you agree? Or is yours a different one? Um, I definitely agree that's very good. Yeah. And again, like you said, like the the animation and stuff, just very evocative, very cool. Mm -hmm. And I, I really enjoy uh, Two Feathers a lot. It also as like a song. Right. It is a really lovely song. And one thing uh, that I guess I haven't mentioned yet that I really like about it is uh, the way the parts that are animated on ones are animated 
giving you a real old school vibe. Because the one thing that I sort of miss about digital animation is that transitions between frames can look a little too clean. And I think that's good for uh, scenes that are animated at a low frame rate. I think at a really high frame rate, that actually makes the movement feel less smooth because it feels like there's less movement in between frames. And I think that helped this OP really stand out and really like makes it more of a just a just a wower, just something that knocks you out of your seat. And that's super cool. That's why it's my favorite OP of the year. All right. Cool. Um, mine, uh, just for, just for the craft behind it, I'm going to give to Pop Team Epic, just because, again, I, I like the, the sort of, and this carries on to the show well, where it, like, feels very multimedia, you know, like, every, every scene in the OP up to the part where, like, they're, um, rotating around and sort of, like, each frame has them in a different outfit of, like, uh, complementary sort of, like, uh, looks, mm-hmm. um, is done, like, there's there's one where it's like um sort of like paper craft. There's one that's done in like a completely different art style, like the setup kind of like the um I don't remember how do you pronounce it, ACBU, uh is it Akbu? Um like their particular art style within it where it's sort of like sometimes too realistic and sometimes too grotesque. <laughs> where like I just I just feel like it it captures so many different feelings that again it it really sells what Pop Team Epic is while also giving you no idea what to expect from Pop Team Epic. Which is, like, about as good as you can do, given just, like, the premise around it, I feel. Yeah. Did you hear what happened to the person who smashed the TV, by the way? No. (laughs) They got arrested for YouTube crimes. (laughs) 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 Ugh. A best OP goes to that joke. (laughs) just the same joke every episode (laughs) (laughs) all right and zane what's your what's your number one all right my number one is uh his story by tm revolution because i love that they actually use it in a show in the show in a way that makes sense in one of the most ridiculous scenes in the show didn't you also say like tm revolution barely has any lines because he's very expensive so basically it's just this song (laughs) (laughs) yes (laughs) <laughs> yes, he barely, he has the least lines of any of the main characters, which is why he has a talking loot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so good. God bless. Uh, that reminds me of when uh, Square Enix tried to make uh, Gak happen as, like, one of their dudes, and he was in one of the PSP Final Fantasy games. Uh-huh, and he had Bujin Guy. What? He had Bujin Guy as well, the whole game that where he was the main character. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and at one point, I don't know if this was Square Enix, but someone gave him, like, his own a Game Center CX style TV show where he was just playing retro games and he was not into it. It was really depressing <laughs> <It's>, to watch. <laughs> it's so good because you can tell he's trying to do the, oh, this is so bad, I hate this, but he says it like that. You can tell he just does zero <laughs> shit <laughs> as he like does really bad at Mega Man 2. <laughs> That's the easiest one too. Come on, man. Step it up. <laughs> All right. And where to go from best OP then into best ED. So, um, I'll start this one off. And the first one on... Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. All right, get this right. Um, you might want to crack open a dictionary for this one because it's, it's uh, linguistically complicated. Oh, this is, like a, this is like a release the spice joke. I get it. Okay, uh-huh. ED is nuts. 
<laughs> Jordan, I'm so glad to have you back. Yeah, you're welcome. Can't express that enough. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, first up on the best ED list for me, I'll be starting this one off, is Star Overhead by The Pillows from uh, Fooly Cooly Alternative. Uh, I did not tune into the, the Fooly Cooly sequels this year, but always down for some more The Pillows. Hell yeah. And what I like about the um, the alternative one is it's sort of done in a very, like, sort of cutesy, chibi art style, but it cuts between sort of, like, the fantastical sort of, like, fully cooly stuff, like, you know, like, knocking back meteors with a guitar and shit, and, like, you know, all the motorbike stuff, and um, also intercuts it with this, this is like a stop-motion thing where um, they've cut out, like, dioramas to do, like, animation of the chibi characters, like, running across various, like, areas in Japan that I assume are in the show, like, the beach and, like, through, like, sort of a busy intersection and stuff. And it's a very, like, charming sort of thing. Like, when it comes to endings, um, it's it's a real come down from the show, and so you don't always expect as much... Uh, like, animation or, like, you know, craft put into them. Definitely. But I think that just, like, that extra touch of sort of doing, like, the multimedia sort of thing is very cool. And, like, the, you know, the fact that it kind of, like, you know, like, Fully Cooly does a character progression for this one. It's, like, as they do more of the, like, stop motion stuff as it's running through, like, you can see them get further and further across the screen until they reach the very end. And so I think it's, like, just a very cute sort of... um a very cute and, like, entertaining sort of uh, way to do the ending. Uh, then I have, um, uh, from Hanebato, I have High Stepper by Yuiko Ohara. I think that um, Hanebato just had, like, a really good OPED set. Totally. This one is, it's a little more sort of, like, hard rock as far as, the, like, the ending goes. Like, it doesn't let you really come down. It's sort of, like, the highs of the emotions of the show keep going in as, like, this fucking tapping guitar riff starts. (laughs) And um, all of it is sort of like this, almost like color pencil sketch art style, like maybe a little painted, um, but like very clearly like a less clean than digital. And it's basically a bunch of sort of like screenshots into the life of people. Like halfway through, it's like a fridge basically. And the magnets are holding like different, like, pictures of all of the characters in various sort of, like, interactions with each other, like, friends, allies, and even, like, enemies who are sort of, like, begrudgingly hanging out with each other. But it just shows sort of, like, where we constantly see their lives, like, you know, on the court. This is sort of, like, a look into their lives when they're not quite so, um, uh, haunted by, by the, the, the choices they've made in life. Yeah, by bad men. You know, the shuttlecock does look like a ghost. <laughs> I, you're right, it does. Yeah. And so I, I just, I really like that sort of, like, way it's like, you know, sometimes we get to see them just enjoy themselves, but, like, this is also, like, an additional thing, like, sort of, as the emotions are high, you also remember, sort of, like, that not everything is so bad for these characters. Sometimes they get to have fun. <laughs> Wish they'd do um, that on the show a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, then I have uh, Kakate Koyo, or I think it's Come At Me, by uh, Nakamura Emi from Megalobox. And this is almost 100% held up by the song. Mm. It's like a very like acoustic funk sort of song going through it that's got like a lot of energy behind it. And throughout the whole thing, it's sort of like 
uh, since, since the show's about boxing, it sort of does this, like, boxing advertisement poster sort of look, but, like, highly neon, because it's the future, where it's, like, it'll have the main character's name, and it'll have, like, the episode title and everything as it goes down through the credits. And I think that just the, the song is just incredible. Yeah. And I think Nakamura Emmy also did the end or the opening to um the the Laughing Salesman from last year, which was also an incredible song. Hmm. Yeah, I I was just gonna say I had this down too uh, uh, for one of my best CDs because it, it's just a really good song. Just sounds good. Yeah, and like it, it it's it's cool because it also like again matching with sort of the feel of the show, it has sort of like a rap breakdown like uh, stanza within it, like within the verse. That's really cool, and it, like, comes back a little bit because rapping ends up taking a surprising amount of focus at the end of Megalobox. <laughs> <laughs> this is 100% the song. We're just like, I think the song is so good. It's a good one. Yeah, it's a good one. Then we have, um, from March Comes in Like a Lion Season 2, we have I Am Standing by Ruan. And March Comes in Like a Lion really knocks it out of the park, I feel, with OPs and EDs if not in both music and visuals, definitely in visuals, where it, uh, it always ties into sort of the, the conflicts of, um, of Ray and sort of the other characters. And this one in particular is a really nice sort of thing about the darkness in his life and the way that they, they portray that and the way that sort of he breaks through. Like a lot of the songs that they pick kind of start out very slow and somber and like build into something that sounds more hopeful, that sounds more, you know, like a like a breakthrough. And I think that it really fits Ray's character very well as he continues to develop as a person and sort of find his own happiness. They definitely managed to carry that uh, bump of chicken vibe from the first season on through the rest of the OPs and EDs, which is good for this yeah, show. Yeah, because that, that bump of chicken one was like so strong with its like, the, the sort of the drowning visual, uh, you know, visuals and stuff mm-hmm. and like setting up that same sort of kind of dynamic change. And it's just continued on with that in such a f- great way. I really love the work that Shaft puts into March comes in like a lion. And I think this ending does a really good job within this season. I put this on too. And thank you for explaining why in, a, in words more eloquent than my own. <laughs> it's no problem. And then the last one I have is from Card Capture Soccer Clear Card Arc. Um, I put both of the endings on, and I, I feel like both of the endings play sort of, they, they play against each other really well, which is why I put them both on. So there's Jewelry by Sayori Hayami and Rewind by Minori Suzuki. And so the first one is sort of, the, is, it focuses more on the human characters and their relationships and sort of rebuilding the dynamics that you'll remember from the original series of Cardcaptor Sakura uh, between all of the mains. And then Rewind is a very cute thing where it focuses on all of the, like, little animal mascots <laughs> that, that, take, uh, that take place in the series. So it's like, here are the humans sort of, like, having fun and sort of doing the slice-of-life things that always seem to go awry within the show, but they're just going okay. They can just, like, cook together and have fun. And then this other one is sort of, like, all of the animal mascots with, like, fucking um, emotions riding high as they just, like, fight each other constantly to try to be more important than the other one in terms of the narrative. <laughs> I just think it's like a really cute kind of back and forth touch. And they're both done in sort of this like marker style where the, the animation isn't like super clean and it moves a lot, but it's still very like charming and cute and like fits sort of a, a common um, the- thematic sort of setup. 
That sounds cute. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. All right. Jordan, tell me about yours. Um, okay. So for me, EDs are always a little difficult uh, just because it is simply the case that most of the time they have a lot less effort put into them than the OPs. So it really does come down to the song quite often. Surprisingly, this year, that wasn't the case most of the time. Uh, my first one is uh, from Kakuruki Circus, and it's uh, Marionette by uh, Lozarina. Uh, this one really impressed me because it actually feels a little more like an OP in some ways. Uh, it is a full uh, minute and 30 seconds long, and it, it, it goes through as a sort of musical progress. Uh, I feel like a lot of EDs only have one phase to them in a way, just because they only have 30 seconds to a minute. But this one, like, really builds on a certain way, and then there's a crescendo at the end, and then it gets softer. Um, and I think that really helps make it more interesting, because early on, sort of the first half of the OP is, is, um, is a little more melancholy. You get this sort of this, uh, this wide look of an old, dilapidated Japanese house. Then you have a character standing outside in the rain, and they're not looking too good. And then by the time the chorus swells in, you know, you have the you have the, the, the circus lights in the background and it's all colored bright red as opposed to the earlier blue. You have the main character standing there and they're looking all amazed. And it just, it has a, a mood to it that you, you don't really expect from an ED because usually uh, the ED kind of carries the emotion through from the episode into the very end of the whole, the whole video, if you will. And I feel like this, this ED had more of a mood of its own uh, and I really liked it for that. I didn't see the show, though, so for all I know, it's a very bad fit. I hear, at the very least, that the show is very mm, messy in terms of pacing. Okay. Maybe if they'd had the extra 30 seconds that they put in the ED, that wouldn't have been a problem. <laughs> they could have saved it. Yeah. But alas. My second entry is a, a strange one because it's not, like, a, it is an ED, but it was exclusive to one episode. Uh, it's from Real Life Kanketsu Hen. Um, and it's Che, full stop, er, full stop, re, uh, or Cherry <laughs> from uh, Yui, who people might know from her incredibly super popular uh, Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood opening again, which was the very first one, often rated as one of the best anime openings of all time. Um, this was a really lovely ending, uh, and it kind of came as a surprise because it was so much more interesting than the rest of the EDs from this series, and especially like the, the regular one. Because Real Life d did the thing where it's like every episode had a different ending, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. Most of them, at least. I'm not sure about every episode, but there, there definitely wasn't like a, a, any amount of consistency to it. Okay. But this one was really good. Uh, I didn't even realize it was Yui at first, so there's no confirmation bias going on here at all. Um, I don't even <laughs> like Again that much, so leave me alone. <laughs> but there's a, there's a really lovely feeling to it uh, that I find very hard to quantify. It has something about it that is like nostalgia, but for the present. Um, there's a really cute visual early on where uh, we have uh, the the group taking a class picture, and then first all the like all the tertiary characters fade out, then sort of the the core cast fade out to leave the two main characters standing there, and then they turn around and they look at each other. And that's probably one of the the cutest things I saw in an ED this year, and for that alone, I think it would deserve a place on this list. It was just really charming, and it really carried through um, that episode very well. Like, I think if they'd put this song, uh, not necessarily with the animation, but just even the song alone on a different episode, it wouldn't have worked as well. Um, so, very smart stuff, all in all, and I really liked it. 
The next up, uh, th- this one, this one's a real, uh, a real treat. I thought it's from Conception, another show I don't know anything about. Uh, it's <laughs> look, better for that. Better okay. for you. All right. Yeah. All I know is that people didn't like it that much. Um, but it, 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 it is <laughs> Desires by uh, Manami uh, Numakura, and this is probably like the most lively ED I've seen in a long time. So basically, it's this this really loud rock song, like a like a heavy metal, not not a heavy metal, like I don't know, one of the sort of a, a darker subgenre of rock. Setsu, uh, what are supposed to be like marionettes that look kind of like paper bears dancing around. Um, and oh, had... I... yes, I just remembered. I just remembered this ED and what it was from the two episodes of this show that I watched. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this ED, it just, it just captured me immediately when I saw it. Like, it was just, it's in a way very repetitive because all it is, is like, uh, the, is, is these marionette bears dancing to the song. Early on, they're sort of silhouetted, so it's not really clear what's going on yet, but it is just that for a full minute. But it's just so, it's so out there and interesting and it kind of like clashes, the music kind of clashes with the dancing. <laughs> Because even though there is sort of like a dark tint to the visuals, um, that doesn't go to quite the degree that the music does. But I really liked it for that. I, I felt like there was a sort of, sort of irreverent uh, discord between the music and the visuals that sort of helps make something uh, feel a little like disturbing or make you uncomfortable, sort of uncanny in a way. And again, maybe that doesn't fit the show, but on its own, I thought that was really neat. All right, cool, great. Yeah. Don't ever look at the show. Yes, All right. please don't. What, what's the problem? Uh, well, uh, <laughs> you hear the word, you hear the title, Conception. Yes. Uh, what do you think about? Um, having, having sex? Yes. Uh, yep. Uh, imagine, uh, 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 let me, let me bring back a segment I like, which is reading the episode titles for <laughs> Conception. Uh. <laughs> episode one. My child? Episode two. I want you to have my child. Episode three. Would you try having my child? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Episode four. Secrets in the early afternoon. <laughs> Episodes five. I've got so many kids. So <laughs> <laughs> a, a surprising amount happened in episode four is the feeling I get from that. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of secrets. Turns out secrets uh, had, the, had his child. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well. Anyways, this is bad. Don't watch yeah. it. <laughs> I guess all the bears symbolize the children that are happy to be alive, and that's why they're dancing. Right. Bears symbolize the bear mascot, who is incredibly horny at all oh. times. <laughs> and happy to be alive. Let's not. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so next up on the list, um, making a reappearance, uh, is Junji Ito Collection again. Uh, this time it's uh, Otagai no Uchu, by, uh, which is, sorry, uh, a parallel universe uh, in English. Uh, by Giocho, I think it's pronounced. Mm-hmm. This one was kind of interesting because they actually changed the visuals for every for every episode. Um, it's not a very uh, visually intensive ED, so it probably wasn't like that much work, all things considered. Uh, but I'm still glad that they did it. So, uh, for example, in the very first episode, you see like you get this this background of trees, and then occasionally uh, characters will pop out from behind the trees, like it's hide and seek, and it's all really nice. It has a it has a, a soothing, calm mood to it, but in a way that isn't quite comforting. Like, there, there is something mildly freaky about this ED, which I think is perfect 
for something to bookend uh, the the Junji Ito collection or anything by Junji Ito. And the song is like this this very very soft guitar piece that um, it has like very uh, like very quiet pristine vocals and uh, the guitar is just <clears throat> they do a riff and then they they just like shut off completely for a second. So it has um, it has like in a way something funky to it, but not not in like not in a groovy way. It's more like it makes it slightly strange to listen to, and that's really good. Um, I think it, it was especially fitting for the episodes that uh, ended on a on a downer note because it really um, it, it carries that along. Uh, the episodes that had like a, a big twist at the end it didn't suit those as well. But I think. Uh, Trying to suit the Junji Ito collection while still being good is a tall task to begin with. So, there you go. It's a really good ED. Great. And then uh, the final one, the, the finally one, the final one is uh, Radiant by Polkadot Stingray from Radiant. This one's funny because this ED makes me want to watch Radiant, even though I don't actually want to watch Radiant because I don't like <laughs> it that much. But this ED sells the show just amazingly well like it really makes it seem like this uh lovely cute like young shonen show because all it is like it's a very simple ed it's just um the the lead character sitting on their little robot and it's all in sort of a paper craft style and they're just flying on their robot to the right and then occasionally other characters pop up in the background like the villains pop up and then the heroes try to swat them away and it really <laughs> uh makes radiant seem like this a cool like light, fun adventure uh, in a way that I'd love to see more of and pretty much doesn't exist anymore. And Radiance is that sometimes, but really does uh, mostly sort of fit into the, I guess, the slightly darker tone that we have for mo- for modern shonen anime uh, and manga for that matter. So that, w- that was nice, I think, you know, instead of not knowing if the ED fits the anime uh, for this one, I wish it did a little better. Um, but in like the the opposite of the way that you would expect but it's it's really good it's really good and it's funny and cute and that's all you that's sometimes that's all you need Mm -hmm. insane all right well i guess i'm up then so uh i'm gonna give uh honorable mentions to a couple that are here for (laughs) for very silly reasons Uh, i got a shout out to uh inkia impulse by hina kino Rika Nagase and Konomi Kohara featuring Ikepi and KSKN for from Asobi Asobase for uh the incredible dissonance between this and the ED or the OP and this. Mm-hmm. For reference, the OP is basically your standard slice of life anime of cute girls doing cute things, and this is death metal. <laughs> Very nice. Love it. Yes, with uh, the the three girls are the three actresses of the three main characters, and uh, it is them singing a, a very... Re- it, it's got exactly the sort of visuals you'd expect for death metal, which is everything's very liney and flashing, and it it is a very ridiculous experience going from the OP to this every single episode, and I just love <laughs> that incredible dissonance. And then the other one I want to give a shout out to is Freakin' You by Jodeki from Jojo Part 5 Vento Ario because it's incredible. Talk about dissonance, <laughs> am I right? Yeah, because it's incredible that every single Jojo ED, or almost all of them, has ended with, every time I close my eyes, I wake up feeling so horny. Yep. 
<laughs> because the visuals for this ED are kind of whatever, but goddamn, the song makes it. It's really good. I can't believe you, I don't want to say wussed out, but decided not to make this one of your actual nominees at the last minute. <laughs> <laughs> that would be because I remembered, oh right, this ED is actually really good thematically and has cool stuff in it. <laughs> and it's not just there because I find it funny, though. I find it really funny. That's fair. I still feel like Freaking You is like, was not like the first choice for part five, and this is just what they landed on. Mm. And I've, but I've come to appreciate it more, just for the fucking dissonance <laughs> of the whole thing. Well, they had their work cut out for them because there aren't really a lot of crossover Italian hits. That's kind of what it would have had to be otherwise, you know? Yeah. Well, I know a lot of people were talking about, like, Gangsta's Paradise and stuff, mm. and, like, ah, you know, trying to fit it more to the to the angle of, like, you know, the whole Gangstar thing. That's fair. Yeah. I was definitely stuck on the Italian thing, because the only thing I, w- I was able to think of is, um, and I don't even know if you two as Americans know this song, but it's Vamos a la Playa. Oh, yeah, Vamos that a la Playa. Fun. Yeah. Uh-huh. Wait, is that Italian? Yes, I will. You wouldn't know because the song itself is in Spanish, but yes, it was right. originally sung Vamos by an Italian playa, artist. Me gusta yeah, I know that one. Yeah. Classic. All right. So for my actual choices, since uh, Chorps hit two of them already with uh, Kakate Koyo from Megalobox and uh, I'm Standing from March Comes In Like a Lion, uh, my other ones are um, Buntline Special by Vika Blanca from Double Decker, <laughs> which has some of the- oh. Which the animation is also whatever, but the lyrics are fucking incredible. Starting with, I don't give a shit every single time. <laughs> yeah, and just, and the way it does it too, where it's like, it's it's kind of doing like a little bit of like a slow punk rock, and then it's just, oh, don't give a shit. <laughs> yeah, it's such a- it's such a good tune to have at this the end of this goofy ass police procedural. <laughs> it's really just charming. Yeah, no, it's so oh, it's so good. And then I've got a uh, Poppy Pappy Day from Pop Team Epic, which is great because it also has the dissonance of this is what the AD would be like if it was actually a slice of life show. But also, they recorded the song twice with both male and female singers, and that rules. <laughs> so and sometimes they would record it specifically with the um the VAs of the season. Yeah. But my favorite version of it is the one that they started using near the end of the season where B Cub is really into Prepara, this idol series. And so he was able to, or they were able to get his two favorite idols from there to do the ending. Mm-hmm. And they have a whole talk before before the singing part where they're just like why are we here? And it's like, oh, it's because B Cup really likes really likes our characters, like and like uses not, not like the shipping name, but like the unit name for the two of them mm-hmm. before they start singing. And there's also one part where you can clearly tell that one of them like loses breath partway through. <laughs> yeah, and, like, I have to drop the out. ED for just how it also fits jokes into it too. It's really just charming. And then on the complete opposite end of the spectrum, my last minute edition was uh, Fly Me to the Star by Starlight 99 Gumi, the uh, the central cast of Starlight Review. Uh, I like this a lot because the visuals are all, like, of a crown drawing with crown dra- crayon drawings, thanks, Tongue, uh, of <laughs> basically the cast sort of... The lyrics all feel very contextual. It's always, like, the uh, the focus of the episode that's singing the song at that point. 
and it kind of like gives a an idea of like why they're trying to become the top star and you know it it develops their characters a bit more because at being you know this show is about musical theater it tries to have the songs develop the characters more and that's really cool and it's also used to start contrast where a surprise villain is revealed and the ed has no lyrics at all oh and that's interesting oh that's cool yeah it's it's a really really good ed mhm so for my winner uh i think i have to go with uh Kakate Koyo from Megalobox. Like, again, just that song hitting the first time, I was like, oh, I really like Megalobox. Because, like, the OP, I don't really care about. Like, that didn't draw me in. But, like, this ED hits, and I'm like, I'm 100% invested in Megalobox <laughs> just by this song. I feel ya. So, for me, best ED of the year uh, is... Uh, a parallel universe from Junji Ito Collection. Junji Ito Collection so far sweeping all of my awards. <laughs> <laughs> it's the best and worst anime this year, folks. <laughs> <laughs> it is just... There's something about it that makes it such a lovely final note to the show. And con- considering the fact that I definitely didn't like the show itself that much, uh, it-, it is interesting that the ending always managed to make me feel happy to be listening to it. Maybe not necessarily happy to have watched the episode, uh, but I guess in a way it sort of it, it sort of cushioned the uh, the lack of enjoyment I had, and and added a, a final a final flourish of of melancholic appreciation to it all, and I think that carries a, I think that carries a lot of value, and it's just on the whole a very well put together, good combination of song and visuals, and there you go. Yeah, let me tell you, JoJo, good band. <laughs> Like, I got into them from other stuff and figuring out they did this. It's like, oh, shit, that's cool as hell. Yeah. Because they do some, like, really cool, like, kind of math pop sort of stuff. And also get to be, like, one of, like, two rock bands that have, like, a flautist in their group. <laughs> and I think that's really cool. Yeah. That sounds It's cool. them and Jethro Tull. <laughs> no, there's nothing scarier than a flautist in a rock group. And that's why they got picked for Genji Ito Collection. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All right. And then... I guess I'm going with my surprise edition because I forgot how much it ruled a uh, Fly Me to the Star by Starlight 99 Gumi because I forgot how much symbolism and character development and just effort they slammed into this ED because, dang, it's a lot. <laughs> All right, cool. I was glad I was surprised stuff like that. I think something happened like that last year with me where I'm like, as I'm talking through the shows for like best anime or whatever, I'm like, you know what? Actually, I've made a much better argument for this one. <laughs> I'm changing. <laughs> So, you know, that's that's what's nice about this format. Mm-hmm. And speaking of last-minute additions, you know, sort of, we got biggest surprises. You know, sometimes I feel like uh, with the way that, uh, like, they advertise shows and stuff, like, it's very easy to know what to expect going into a show. But sometimes you're just blindsided by something being, like, really good or just hitting you in a way that you didn't quite expect it to. Mm-hmm. And that's what this is about. I also think that in a way we've been conditioned to expect anime to get a lot worse than it initially looks because I feel like that happens very often and when, then when the opposite happens it's a really really nice surprise because of that. Yeah absolutely. There are definitely cases where you like look at a show and you're like you're not like expecting anything at all but just like word of mouth helps you realize oh wait no actually this is good and just behind something that sounds really really bad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Speaking of I'll start with Uma Musume, pretty dirty. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
for what feels like one ex an extremely cynical sort of move in sort of the turn of things into cute girls movement and also like making it not only that it, they are horse racing girls but also that they are idols is like mm, one two punch of ooh that sounds like it's going to be bad but you kind of got to watch it just to understand what they're doing and it comes out like feeling really genuine like it's a very nice story about just like self-motivation and like understanding yourself you know in the way that like sports anime does it just also happens that all of the characters are famous racehorses <laughs> <laughs> so it like it has that but like it does seem to have a lot of heart to it and it and it really goes hard in on its premise you know like when they wear their running shoes they put horseshoes on them literally like half of the foodstuffs in the show is carrots. <laughs> you know, they literally uh, run, set in like, oh yeah, everyone runs everywhere because they're really fast at running because they're fucking horses. This is the show where the one girl is like, oh no, I'm late for school. And then instead of running with a piece of toast in her mouth, she runs with a carrot. Yes. Yeah, that's the yeah, one. That's yeah. a really good gag. I like yeah. that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, Uma Musume has a lot of, I feel like a lot of heart and charm to it in a way that you would not have expected from the, the like, advertisement for it that I think came out, like, four years ago. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I I also put this on my list because, yeah, it, it has a surprising amount of heart. Like, it plays its premise completely straight, and I think because of that, they were able to bring out some really nice, heartwarming stuff out of it. And weirdly enough, they actually managed to fit in some secret gags based on, like, actual racehorse events like the whole eating contest bit was actually a goof on a race on actual real race right like all of the all of the races in the show follow actual results from a, the real racehorse that it, uh, the real race that happened for it spoilers and they also include that in there's like an eating competition that some of the girls have at like a festival and that's also decided by like actual like an actual race uh <laughs> oh yeah and also like they they fit in sort of the 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 quirks of the actual racehorses into the characters. Yeah, it's great. Where like there's Goldship the horse who was known for being like kind of eccentric. Like it would just like walk around in circles for no reason before every race in like the exact same spot on the on the pitch. And so Goldship in the show does that. Like there's so much like weird shit to it where it's like oh they either clearly did their research or they really love ra horse racing, which might make sense. But like, yeah, it's it's just very cute. I think what mo surprised me the most is that it felt like it was just going to be a cash grab anime for one another one of Psy Games' mobages, but it turned out to be like just a heartwarming sports anime. Yeah, and the mobile game's still not out, so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> what I wanted to say is, or what I'm wondering is, uh, does the the contemporary legend racehorse Fortnite dance make an appearance in the show? <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, a lot of these are older horses. Like, I don't think a lot of the horses that are in it still race or are alive. Mm. I was going to say, there's also the fact that these are all Japanese racehorses, for the most part. Oh. Mm. Do they also have funny names in Japan, or is that a, is that a Western thing? No. No, they, def they definitely have funny names. It's like Special Week, it's like Gold Ship, you know, uh. like... You know, they don't have, like, a pot eight O's, and they don't have, like, an orb, <laughs> really. But, like, you look through them, and you, you still definitely get a lot of, like, oh, yeah, they just name racehorses the same way. <laughs> Great. 
But yeah, I don't think they have a lot of contemporary horses. But yeah, for the most part, they're Japanese. Like, they do have a French horse that shows up, but like, you know, for the most part, they're all Japanese. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna go through some of the names real quick so we can talk about them. Just because again, they, they do do it. We have Manhattan Cafe. We have Seeking the Pearl. We have El Condor Pasa. <laughs> El Condor Pasa is a great character, actually. El Condor Pasa is great because basically uh, she shows up to all of them in like a um, like a not like a wrestler's mask, but sort of like wrestler's like um, like a headpiece that goes like goggles over her eyes. Mm-hmm. So she's pretty good. Yeah. There she goes like vamos a la playa. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna stay by Laura. Yeah, <laughs> uh, she. No, no, she's a she's an exchange student from America, so she speaks in broken English. <laughs> oh, great! And like that fake bad Japanese accent, where like everything is like enunciated too much, and there's not enough um, <laughs> uh, like uh, emphasis put on the words. She's so good. She's so good. Um, the the next surprise I have on here is Sword Art Online Alternative Gun Gale Online. A big surprise because it's attached to the Sword Art Online name, but I was really entertained by it. <laughs> and something that that comes out later is basically like. So this was written by the, the Kino's Journey um, team, and by the end of it, basically the like main villain, as it were, is someone who is so obsessed with the original, like, so in, in this world, Sword Art Online happened, like the whole murder thing happened, and this girl almost got into Sword Art Online and joined the killing game and didn't, and she's just been so pissed ever since because basically, like, the way that she lives her life, she feels like she has nothing to live for. So she just wants to fucking die. And it basically the whole thing is about like teaching this gamer to chill out a little <laughs> bit and like accept life for how it is and sort of like learn to love yourself. And I think that that's like a really fun message <laughs> in, in a way, like not only like within the within the narrative of the story, but also like outside, like for people who are so obsessed with sort of online for like th- that particular part of it is like. Maybe take a chill pill, dog. Yeah. <laughs> Stop yelling the N-word to 13-year-olds when it's real. <laughs> right, stop. He, do you remember when she did that? Broke, heated gamer moments. <laughs> Woke, chill gamer moment. <laughs> That's what we need more of. Exactly. And and I, I think, like, just within the other characters, it's also a lot about self-acceptance and self-understanding and stuff. And, like, I think that that's, like, a really a really good way to take sort of the idea, like, oh, You've created a character in a world that can finally look the way that you feel. Like, it, you know, like, the, the main character's like, oh, I'm so tall, I, you know, I, I, and it makes, it makes her feel hideous. So she, like, gets to play as, like, a cute small girl. And so, you know, it kind of, like, helps her kind of accept who she is. Mm. Yeah, so, like, it, it's charming. You know, I didn't like this show that much. Um, but one thing that it did do for me is that uh, it was this year's anime that made me want the key change that exists uh, in the universe which is what what um uh what was it called uh, sound euphonium was in 2016 where i really wanted a tubacoon keychain but this time it was <laughs> i like the idea of just being able to like buy your weapon from a video game as a keychain uh because right. if that was possible i would definitely buy a keychain of like the akimbo 1887s from modern warfare 2 or just some other stupid overpowered <laughs> weapon from a multiplayer game that makes everybody angry on site <laughs> uh-huh speaking of guns from it uh one thing i also really appreciate is like she gets so into the game at one point that she hallucinates basically like huge moe anime <laughs> eyes on her gun as it talks to her <laughs> yeah, I do as like that. she works through her own thing and i think that's really good Damn, too. about me <laughs> one time i played uh so much guitar hero and you know how like the screen is always scrolling up 
Uh -huh. uh, when I took my eyes off it and looked at my uh, looked at the guac for my uh, for my nachos, I thought it was moving. <laughs> that is a real ass thing. That yeah, it was that wow. was scary. <laughs> oh no, I got a full combo of my guac before I can eat it. <laughs> <laughs> and then I shot it with my pink submachine gun to make sure it was dead. Uh, the next on the list was Planet With, and Planet With is a particular thing where, like, specifically information was withheld on the series so that, like, like we've talked about, like, the manga and anime could basically come out simultaneously, mm. and so there wouldn't be, like, a lot of spoiler issues between people who wanted to do manga versus anime or vice versa and still talk about it. And what started out as sort of, like, your very typical sort of, like, mecha revenge story really turned into something much greater in terms of narrative where it, it you know it, it stopped being so much like oh this person wants revenge for the injustices brought to like his planet and sort of learning to in some ways like learning the circumstances behind these things and learning to like forgive and like have empathy towards things that are like out of your control yeah and also like it's a big surprise because you look at it, it's like, oh, this guy has got, like, a cat mech, and he's, like, with a mate or whatever. What you don't realize going in is, also, that cat mech is also a real actual cat that devours the pilot in order to turn into a mech. And so, like, again, it's just, like, the absurdity of it is surprising, but then there's so much, like, heart behind it, too. So, like, it pulls you in two different ways. Yeah, I, I also put Planet With down for biggest surprise because it was a huge mystery box going in, and I did not expect a very charming and earnest anime uh, that tried to discuss the cyclical nature of conflict. Yeah, absolutely. And the fact that, like, it feels like a two or three season show that was able <laughs> to be condensed into, like, one season, and not in, like, a way that feels, like, super rushed, but just, like, they cut out all the fluff. Yeah. And as much as I wish that there was that fluff, sometimes, like, they do an incredible job with the the pacing of the show to be, like, wait, that's not the end? And, like, build upon the conflict to, like, change it and, you know, update it. Yeah, it does a lot. It did a lot with just keeping you hooked, resolve making sure to resolve mysteries and introduce new ones in a very natural and organic way. And I, I guess the one thing that, you know, I wish that we got more of was a little bit more character development for everybody, just, you know, because of how fast it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. I then have Mr. Tonagawa Middle Management Blues on here, a lot because when people think of, like, Kaiji, Kaiji's not, like, a funny series. Kaiji is a very tragic series about a man who basically, like, gets into debt because of a bad contract and constantly has to, like, gamble for his life in order to just live normally. But Mr. Tonagawa does a really good job of sort of, like, flipping the perspective of the show to, like, the behind-the-scenes of this company that gives Kaiji so much grief and basically just show, like, just how sort of bumbling and incompetent the company is behind these death games, as are the people that have to play them, in a way that's very entertaining, where it's like, you know, they, they like, fuck up an order, where it's like, oh, you know, they, they bought all these, like, very elaborate tables so they can play their, like, restricted rock-paper-scissors game, but they don't buy any of the electronics for it. So, you know, like, when they insert the card, they can't do the count for how many cards are still left so that they can continue <laughs> with the game and sort of do the mind games. So what they do, and this is accounted as canon, 
is they have all of the workers for this company sitting inside the tables with, like, manual counters to update which cards come through. Good. And they all just have, like, little, like, setups inside where to, like, keep them entertained for four hours at a time while the game goes. Like, one of them has a miniature cat cafe in there. And one of them just got, like, a sick gaming rig. And, like, just whatever they can do to, like, keep themselves entertained for four hours while they do this. Like, it takes some of the teeth out of how menacing it seems without taking away from the actual drama of the games, which I think is really good. And just the way that it plays with sort of, like, characters you recognize from Kaiji and sort of, like, makes them seem a little more human and a little more, like, fun is really nice. Cool. And then, also biggest surprise, Hanabato. Um, First of all, uh, like we talked a little bit before, OP uh, does not reflect the show. You think it's going to be like, oh, they're, having, they're playing badminton, they're having fun. Again, no one's having fun playing badminton. Mm. <laughs> Zero people have fun until the very end. Um, there's a lot of sort of like familial drama and a lot of sort of like people who feel like they have to perform in this place because it's all that they know and sort of the the way that that sort of gives them their own version of like PTSD and the the way that they they overcome sort of the 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 baggage that they feel comes with this this talent or this skill and how it turns into being able to funnel sort of all of these emotions into enjoying your craft and like finding the fun even when it seems like you're sort of forced into this life and so hanebato i found really charming not like an anti-sports anime but definitely like a sports anime that's a less like god this game's so much fun and sort of like sometimes it doesn't feel fucking fun at all (laughs) but you know you like you find you find your own inner peace when you get onto the court kind of thing i have this on my list as well and i also like for me, it's for similar reasons. It's not, it wasn't only a surprise because of how good it was, but also because of what it was. Like when I originally mm-hmm. watched it, or when we originally watched it, it we thought there was going to be just a companion piece, uh, if you will, to Harukana received. Mm-hmm. It was, it's very different, and it definitely outshined that show. And I, I think the show was really good about portraying the way in in which something that is supposed to be fun can can overtake you. And that, that is something that I myself really struggle with. It's very easy for me to, for something that should just be like a light little thing for my enjoyment or a hobby to turn into an obligation. Um, and, and in this show, you know, that was portrayed in a lot of like maybe bigger ways than it is in real life, though not necessarily. Like this can all be very real. Like, uh, you know, parental issues, just having like a more of a personal obsession, uh, feeling inadequate compared to your teammates. No, it was all there, and it was all just uh, portrayed and handled in uh, really intelligent ways, and that is way more than I expected to get out of this show. Uh, and that's that's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Like the drama definitely feels comparable to things that I I felt really attached to before, like the the particular drama in Sound Euphonium, right? About the the difference between the people who are playing for fun and the people who are very much there to like win band competitions and have the Mm -hmm. utmost seriousness for it and the way that it like changes your perspective on these things that are supposed to be fun and the same with like your lie in april with the way they do like uh performances there so seeing it in sports in particular because that is such a more like naturally competitive thing was like really really cool and then honorable mention just goes to zombie land saga i didn't watch it but like it clearly like hit so many people in this very particular way for, first of all, taking what looked like a horror thing, turning it into a comedy thing, but still like having some very like 
heartfelt, uh, heartfelt character stuff, including like a trans character that a lot of people responded really positively to mm-hmm. because it was treated with a lot of respect and care and sort of like, you know, understanding for that sort of thing where it's like, you know, who gives a shit what you on the outside is? It's about what you on the inside is. It's about the you that is important, you know? Yeah. So I think that Zombieland Saga touched a lot of people and kind of like last year with Komodo Friends where I don't, I'm, I didn't watch it and I don't know if I care to watch it, but I respect that so many people can come together over this show and like find something uh, to love about it, either just like as like a comedy series or something, you know, a little more heartfelt. I watched two episodes of this show uh, and then I dropped it because the rap battle at the end of the second episode just hurt me in a way. Like I really <laughs> just did not enjoy watching it. Uh, but the further reception of the show has been so positive that I am thinking about picking it back up at some point because uh, what I've seen mm-hmm. of the rest of the show does look very interesting. All right. Uh, let's do Zane next. All right. So I'm going to go with the stuff that isn't duplicates. So uh, first up is Review Starlight, which is another show I knew nothing about going in because the description was awfully vague. But then I saw the very stylish, I guess, magical girl-esque transformation from the end of the first episode. And I was like, okay, I'm going to take a look at this and see what this is about. And... I did not expect a very heartfelt tale about the difficulties of growing up and trying to commit and the difficulties of just trying to keep to your craft as you grow and change and interact and the bonds you have with the people that you perform with and such. It it turned out to be a really heartwarming show that just had a lot of effort put into just every aspect of it. It was It was surprisingly good for me. There, there were twists that happened that I didn't expect, and just the, it, I, I really liked it. It, it just came out of nowhere for me. So, yeah, that's great. Yeah, I, that, that's one of the ones I like. Kind of regret missing out on is Review Starlight, just for the way that like you and so many other people have talked about it. Yeah, and so I want to go back to it at some point. Yeah, it's it's very worth watching. And then next up is SSSS Gridman, which is uh. Trigger doing a sort of reimagining of an old Toku series called Hyper Agent Gridman. And this, I was afraid this would turn out bad because of Darling and the Franks and none of Trigger's <laughs> other non-Little Witch Academia productions being that great. But this came out of nowhere and managed to hit a lot of really good emotional notes. It manages to sort of, it manages to get you to empathize with the villain in a way that I don't think other shows could, and given that the main character's goal changes along the show, along the way from the show from I must defeat the villain to I must save the villain is just, it did it in a way that mirrored the audience's own emotions, I feel. It it manages to have, like, a lot of good action, a lot of good scene framing it. It really just felt like it came out of nowhere for me. And I think the part that I liked the most is that the the Toku battles actually felt like they were shot like Toku battles, just with a lot more good effects because of it being animation and all it. It was a really good show that came out of nowhere, and I'm surprised how much I liked it. All right, awesome. And then I guess the last thing is uh, Hinamatsuri, which is a goofy comedy about uh, a Yakuza that kind of adopts this 
weirdly emotionless Esper and the weird bond that sort of forms between the two, but I guess the biggest surprise here is that I didn't expect it to be so heartwarming with Anzu's whole arc and her character growth and just how much of a good, earnest person she is. It it was, it's weird to say this, but this is one of the most heartwarming comedies I've ever seen. It's, it's great. The show's pretty good, but I, th- I liked it a little better uh, in the first season. It was called Mob Psycho 100. <laughs> <laughs> God damn. <laughs> but yeah, I, I liked Hinamatsuri a lot. I liked, I liked its characters. I like how they actually had some character arcs to them. It, it did a lot of stuff I didn't expect for a comedy show, and I, I really appreciated all of that. And then Jordan. And then me. Um, okay, so first of all, uh, I have Violet Evergarden. Uh, which wasn't really a surprise in the traditional sense because I actually had incredibly high hopes for this season initially. My opinion on Kyoani has shifted dramatically uh, since my teenage years because at the time with Haruhi and Keon, you know, I thought they were just at the top of the mountain. And then since then, a big problem they've had is that they just, like, they have seemingly all the freedom in the world to just make these amazing shows. Like, their visuals are always on point. They have total creative freedom and just again and again what they do is they make these shows set in just the most lifeless unimaginative fantasy realms impos- uh, imaginable like uh chunibyo uh, uh, uh f- 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 myriad colors phantom world um the other show that i don't even remember the name of the p- park something uh amagi brilliant park amagi brilliant park all just like they take place in like these uh vibrant fantasy worlds that just suck ass um <laughs> and i thought with violet evergarden like uh seemed like it was going to be more of like a character piece set in something in a time period in history sort of resembling one in the real world and it looked like it was going to be beautiful and it is uh it's one of the best looking anime tv anime i've ever seen uh that ha- with a traditional style at the very least um uh yeah every frame looks like it cost one million dollars abso- to me. yeah absolutely <laughs> especially when the when the metal hands are out like if you see, yeah, no, that, that that's two million dollars. Yeah, you're right, you're right. Um, but the, the early episodes are are pretty rough. Like the world ends up not being as interesting as you might imagine. They don't really lean into the World War One imagery very much, and just uh, the main characters' characteristics don't allow for very good character based storytelling, which is a problem in this kind of show. But it gets a lot better. After I think episode four or five, because as it turns out, the first couple of episodes, uh, or most of them at least, were all original stuff. And after that, it starts following the source material a little bit, and that's when it really comes alive. Because this is, uh, it's mostly an episode by episode story, and early on, like the scenarios themselves aren't even that great. And I, I think that's a shame when. Like, coming up with a scenario good enough for a 22-minute episode shouldn't be that hard, right? But it is, apparently. And then, like, but the second half of the series, like, all the scenarios are killer. We start to learn more about the characters, and that allows them to, like, come alive a little bit more. Uh, Like, the the cast gets made a little broader, as the history of the world is filled in. And that just allows everything to feel a little more vibrant. And for the the writing and just the events that occur to live up to how pretty the show is. And after the first two episodes really disappointed me, I did not expect the show to go in that direction, but it did, and that's great. All right. 
Yeah, because I, I definitely fell off before the episode four mark, because it definitely felt just... Like you said, it, it felt like a, a disappointment to the world building, what they were doing. Yeah, totally. Then my second show, uh, Hunter Batter, we already covered. And then the third one is Garo Vanishing Line. Initially, uh, the trailer for this really sold me on it. But then I found out that it was a Garo show, and I don't like Garo that much. So I thought, okay, maybe, maybe I'll skip this one, actually. Really just adding a, 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 another word to the title is the only thing that made me less, interest, less interested. But I believe it was uh, our OP watching session that uh, got me to turn around on that because the first and second OP both really caught my eye. And I decided to watch the show and it was, it was really solid. I think it really outdid uh, the first season of Garo. I don't know anything about the second. Just, it's just a, a really cool old-fashioned uh, action show. It's just about, you know, it's just badass dudes and hot chicks killing demons and... That that doesn't sound like the kind of thing that would be uh, interesting to me, but this, it was just a really good one of those. Like all the like all the characters were fun, and all of the 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 art was really cool. It, it could be a really good looking show when I want it to be. Unfortunately, like uh, the 3D in it doesn't look that good. Like it's very poorly integrated most of the time. But when they really do pull out all the stops, they do pull out all the stops. Like the whole house goes dark, um, and it's the that's when the show shines and yeah like early on i did not expect it to be that cool and then it turned out it was yeah garo's vanishing line just really good yeah uh the next on the list is uh rascal does not dream of bunny girl senpai i don't know if that's the official english title that is i think it is it is oh that's a real shame yeah (laughs) it's a real uh but you thought there is never a girl online (laughs) no kidding word salad sort of shit so this is one of those shows where i thought beforehand looking at the looking at the trailer and the description this could either be really cool or it could get really skeevy because it's about like uh it's about a guy who meets a girl and the first time they see each other she's in like a a playboy bunny costume and that's really it, it was a very mysterious show so that's kind of all the viewers knew going in unless they knew about the source material so really, like, the tips could still be, uh, the scales could still be tipped one way or the other. But thankfully, it, it got tipped in the direction of being very good. Um, there is still sort of like an element of being a little, like, a little creepy and pervy from time to time. But I feel like that's all, that's all in-universe and, like, built from the perspective of the characters. So, in my opinion, it was, it was pretty acceptable here. Um, and it was just a show that featured a lot of, like, really, really good character moments. It was basically all character moments, really. And just, like, the the interaction between the two main characters was so good. Like, they go through all these, like, fairly mature themes of, like, what what the value is of, of, being, of being seen and being famous versus being obscure. And, like, what, what it does to you when you don't get to have the human relations that you'd like to have. And I, I expected the show, if the show was going to be good, I expected it to, like, delve into that. Uh, but I did not expect it to do it so well. And that's why uh, it really caught me off guard in a good way. Yeah, I, I definitely heard a lot of good press afterwards, after, like, being really, like, turned off by the description. Mm. But it seems like it, it turned out really well. And just hearing it from you, it seems like it's it's pretty cool in the way that it, it grapples with that sort of stuff. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I've heard much the same from a few other folks that have watched it, that it's actually surprisingly good, despite the really awkward-sounding title. Yeah. Then my final show, and this is my real Dark Horse pick. 
it's Darling in the Franks from Trigger Animation. Yeah, justify yourself. Yeah, so here's the thing, right? Uh, I jumped on, I hopped onto the show pretty late because I believe uh, it aired in winter, so the first season of the year. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've watched it until summer break. So I was, I was going in fully ready to only look at it for the cool animation. Like I thought, okay, the show is a hot mess. It's going to be garbage. It's going to be way too horny. This is going to suck. Um, and at times I think it's, it, it does, but I was actually surprised by how thoughtful the series was and how thematically rich it was, um, especially early on. Cause it, it is a very, it is a very sexually driven show. And because it's about teenagers, there's a very weird thing about it. But in my opinion, it sort of hits that, it hits that Evangelion level where it's more, about the sexuality than about being sexy. I really like the way the early episodes handled sort of this, um, this sort of this messaging about how in the real world, uh, we sell teenagers sex without really selling them caring mutual relationships. So literally like the, the, the Franks themselves are, are basically stand-ins for having sexual intercourse. And then the teens are really good at that. But then once they're put into a dormitory together, like they're so awful at just getting along with each other. And that clearly like gets in the way of them being able to like pilot the Franks correctly. Like their, their interpersonal drama gets in the way, gets in the way of the action uh, quite frequently. And they, they're taught how to like the, the, the Franks as it were, are constantly being marketed to them, air quotes. And they get better at that. But even though, like, their interpersonal relationships are so terrible and they're, it's a constant source of friction, the adults don't really seem to care about that. And I think that was, like, just such a good look at the way romance is, is communicated to teenagers. And, um, and also it looked really good. Like, the action was super cool. Like, that, that was a, that's the secondary thing I liked about it. Um, but yeah, I feel like this show, there was more sh- to this show than people gave it credit for. Um, and that really surprised me, especially because Trigger shows usually not the best for that kind of thing. Did you complete it? No. <laughs> okay. I, I I'm asking because from what I understand, like all of your stuff is valid, but also it sort of just like goes fucking off the rails mm. at some point. So, I'll, well, you know, biggest that. surprise doesn't mean it has to be good all the way through. You know. Right, right. That's. I'm not saying that. I was just curious because because of your perception, did you finish it? That's yeah. all. Okay. But like you do, you do go over some things that I I think were fairly evident from the couple episodes I watched. But just like I think that the way that it was put together really turned me off from it. Mm. But like there is definitely a lot of good stuff to be got from like what you said. You know. Yes. Yeah, you've made me sad because I wish this show stuck to those themes to the end because it would have been <laughs> really good. Uh, we'll have time to talk about that. Yeah. But before before we get sad, let's 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 count down our, our our favorite surprises from this whole thing. And as far as the biggest surprise goes, definitely like a hundred percent biggest surprise I had was how much of again very like heartfelt and very genuine sort of series Uma Musume ended up coming out as. Again, it could have been a cash grab. It could have been like ironic in a way, like just like. Oh, yep, they're girls and horses, and that's, like, the whole thing that they rely on for the humor. <laughs> but no, it's, like, it's it's very genuine, it's very heartfelt, it has, like, a story to tell within the confines of, like, a sports series, more or less. It just also happens that then they do idol stuff after the races, and also their horses, 
Like, it, it feels so much like they've built this gimmick to draw people in, and then they just wrote a normal show. <laughs> and I think that that's, like, great. I think that Uma Musume, like, it may not be the best show I watched this year. Like, I don't think it shows up in my top five. But, like, as far as what it was, I was very happy to find out that it's just, like, a solid show without having to be a commercial, without having to be too, like, jokey about itself. I like that. I like I like when someone gets commissioned to do something that is really just, like, factory work, something they probably don't want to do or maybe don't want to do, and then making the most of it. Like, still putting some artistic merit into it. It's great. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Uh, my biggest surprise is uh, the same thing. It's Uma Musume Pretty Derby, because I didn't expect it to be really as charming as it was, is that I would get attached to some of the characters as much as I did, that, you know, just, it just turned out to be a really charming, heartwarming sports anime, and uh, I'm, I'm glad that, that, that the director of that show put the same amount of effort into Uma Musume that he did into Hina Matsuri. It's really good. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, this was a really difficult one to pick, and I think really you could go for any of the ones except for maybe Darling in the Franks. But I think in the end, I still have to give my top pick to Rascal Does Not Dream of Bunny Girl Senpai. Um, just because it was better than my most positive imagination of it was, uh, was of what it could be was. Because like I said, like I said, I thought it could either be bad or good, and then turned out it was good, but it was even better than I was expecting that good to be. Like, I thought it was just going to be an okay, slow burn character piece. But it was an okay, it was, it was a slow burn character piece that just had a lot of fantastic interaction that was paced super well. It was, it was good looking. A lot of themes that were touched on very well. And that's something you don't get out of every show. And especially not shows that have a, a premise that might turn you off. Okay, yeah. So, now it's time to talk about our biggest disappointments. You know, in the opposite version of Biggest Surprise, maybe we come in with high hopes, maybe we come in just with like, even just like middling hopes and it still fails to live up to what we expect, you know, uh, on the, you know, from, from what it sh shows from like the PVs and stuff. So let's talk about that and start with Jordan. All right. So, um, just for context uh, for the viewers, we have a big... We have a big Google Doc where we have all our entries uh, put down. And uh, for one of these, I have one of them listed as secret entry because I felt um, that it was important to keep, uh, I guess, like the narrative of discussion consistent. Because that first entry is Darling in the Franks. Because uh -huh. even though I loved, let's say, maybe the first uh, six, seven episodes of this show, after that, it like immediately and drastically falls apart. <laughs> Like, characters just get derailed, uh, themes get dropped, um, the fights still look good, like, pretty much every episode still has its big wow moment, but the context they're in just gets way less, um, interesting. And also, I think, uh, just the, the, the initial wow factor, just, just the, the way in which something catches you when it starts because it's all new, uh, like, that slowly fades away and then they don't find anything new to replace it except for just horrible writing. So yeah, uh, I, I, I was surprised to see that there was more to this show than I thought there was going to be based on the general reaction to it, uh, but that did not last as long as I hoped. 
Zane can talk more to that because he finished the damn show. <laughs> That's a real shame. But all of us have Darling in the Franks on here for some capacity or another. Yeah, all right. So I I personally think that the show kind of fell off for me when it decided it wanted to be Gurren Logan for no real reason. Because that's what happened for like the last third of the show. And it was... It, <laughs> it frustrated me that it just kind of dove off the deep end instead of sticking to its themes of weird teens just kind of puzzling out their own emotions and Zero just kind of trying to understand her own humanity and such. But nope, we're just going to be Gurren Logan again. Turns out the Klaxosaurs were actually protecting you from the evil space Illuminati just like Gurren Logan. <laughs> God. <laughs> and then also in the end it's, oh yeah, and everybody had babies. Please have babies. Signed Shinzo Abe. <laughs> He does it How again. Awesome. He's trying so He's hard. He's trying so hard. I bet, like, originally they were going to have Gangster's Paradise for JoJo's Part 5, and then Shinzo Abe burst into the Studio David offices <laughs> and told them to use Freaking You for the ED instead. Get those teens horny! <laughs> but yeah, I, I thought that it was going to go somewhere, but nope, it wanted to be Gurren Logan, and that just... Bleh. Yeah, even though I dropped it really early on, I could see, like... Again, it was capturing some of those themes that Jordan was talking about, but I, early on, was just like, oh, this is really clumsy and, like, also kind of embarrassing how on the nose it was sometimes, just like, the doggy-style fucking mech piloting that, was just like, oh, come that on. That was hilarious to me, how about, uh, how blunt they were about it. It was funny, but then I also just, like, roll my eyes, come on the fuck on, are you for real? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, I, I, think, I feel like that's the narrative, darling, in the Franks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, so second on my list is, uh, Golden Kamui, and this is just because the show did not live up to the manga. Um, I've a bit, I'm a big fan of the manga. I've been reading it since even before it got an official release by Viz. It's a great story. Uh, it looks lovely. It's got uh, good characters, good drama, good tension, good humor, and all of that is still there for the most part in the show, but the show just isn't very good like it, it it comes up short just a little bit in basically every way imaginable like it doesn't look that great it's paced a little bit weirdly um the voice acting isn't all really all that and what that makes for it is a show that isn't really worth watching because it would be you would be better off just reading the manga and i i think there's something that always needs to be said for that because an anime can be so much more than a manga on average like, I think adapting a manga into an anime means you can you can do a lot, you can add a lot of substance, whereas the other way around, it you usually, usually leads to a reduction of substance unless you really change something. So this was just a real bummer, because I thought I was going to see something I liked uh, re, like repurposed in a new medium, and it was, it was less than that. That's a real shame. I've heard that opinion from other manga readers as well. Yeah. Maybe, since I've been sitting on the first volume of it, for I think a full year now without reading it, maybe I'll finally get around to that to understand <laughs> Golden Kamui. I hope so. Um, then next on the list, I have a Fully Coolly Progressive. I don't know which of the two shows I was supposed to watch first. Like, I didn't realize that was a thing at the time. But I watched both of them. Eventually, I put this one on the list because it was the first one I watched. And in my opinion, the worst of the two. And I was just hoping that they were going to be able to just, like, recapture some of the magic of the original show. And instead, what they did is they just kind of went 
for a similar tone and structure as the original show, but with a lot less energy. When the original trailer for uh, Foley Coley 2 and 3 dropped, I was really surprised to see that it was just going to look like a modern, sleek, digital anime that felt like a real betrayal of what Fully Cooly is. Um, and I don't really feel any differently about the final show. It just feels like maybe they wanted to recapture the success and not the appeal of the original show. And, and in doing that, they just made something that didn't need to be made and doesn't really have any greater value, in my opinion. Uh, then next on the list, I have Hinamaru Zumo. This is another manga that I am somewhat fond of. It's not great, but I think it's pretty, it's pretty fun. It's actually uh, a manga that's not very popular in Japan. It's consistently among like the bottom uh, of the Shonen Jump popularity list. And uh, general theory has it that the only reason it's being kept alive is to sort of uh, an attempt to like reignite interest in uh, the sumo wrestling sport. Because it is like Japan's big national sport. And I think I think it's maybe a lot better than uh, the Shonen Jump, uh, Weekly Shonen Jump readers give it credit for. It's got like it's got that it's got that heart and that that fiery spirit that any like good classic Shonen Jump series needs, and the anime still has that too. It has it in spades. I think the problem is just that the anime is paced really, really poorly, and it just ended up being almost excruciating to watch. <laughs> like I think uh, I think sumo wrestling is already a, a fairly slow sport, so you need to. If you're gonna make a story about it, you need to you need to give it to give it that kick. And I think the manga had that kick, and the the anime doesn't. And maybe that's just because you can read a manga at your own pace, and then an anime you're stuck to the pace of the animation. But yeah, the the timing of everything and the length of all the scenes just felt so much worse in the anime than in the manga, and that was a real bummer. Chorps, you watched it too. What do you think? Yeah, no, it's it's very slow. <laughs> I think that's like the most damning thing about it. Like. In in other sports shows, at least they're doing sports more, but I think sumo does not lend itself very well to the anime format where, like, you still have to keep up the sports parts. There's, like, practicing and stuff. So, like, mm. and, and it's such a quick sport as well. Yes. So, I think, I think just the, the way that it was directed just did not work for probably what the appeal of sumo is. Yeah, because when you're, when you're reading a manga... Like, just a big panel where there's a lot of movement and someone getting, like, slapped onto the ground. That's all you need. But for an anime, that can't be the whole action scene. And it is, too often in this show. So, it's just, they, they didn't put enough work into transitioning from one medium to the other. And that's this show's big problem. Um, and then my last en entry, uh, this is one that I think uh, might make you two and maybe listeners unhappy. Uh, the first half of My Hero Academia Season 3... This uh, went beyond how far I'd read in the manga, and I did not expect for, like, just the breaks on the general narrative to be hit so quickly and just to go into effect so suddenly. Like, after the, um, what's he called? Stain? Yeah. That's the, the, yeah, that's the boss before. Like, the Stain arc, I wasn't super into. Like, it was a little more grim than I would have liked, but I was definitely still invested. And, like, the return of Mr. Gohan's <laughs> just was not something that I was interested in. And it's, uh, like, basically all the character development of Class 1A is ground to a halt just so that we can repeat the first arc of the series with slightly different stakes. And 
that was just not what I was looking for. Like, basically, nothing happens to any of the characters, like, as far as uh, emotional growth goes, except for Deku. But a lot of characters get a lot of time to do stuff, and it's all just not that interesting. Like, you, you have the part in the intro where um, Gohan's boss reaches out through him to the t- uh, through the television. He's, like, standing up to the screen and begging, begging for, uh, for approval. And those three seconds are, I think, a better approach to the, to like furthering this character's, uh, this character's development than what they actually did in the show. And this season really took the wind out of my sails as far as my enjoyment of My Hero Academia goes. Even though the second half was a lot better. So it was just this part. So are you saying just up to the, the end of the, the like training camp arc? Or are you including like all the stuff with All for One? Um, no, it was up to the end of the, um, well, I guess there, there's no hard split to it because I think it does carry into part of the all for one storyline. Um, but, mm-hmm. but it, while it's in there, it does pick up steam again at some point. Okay. That's, that's why I was kind of curious because you say it's like the first arc and some of that is true for the camp stuff. I just wasn't sure if that built all the way to the end of the season. No, it does. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. I get that perspective. Mm. All right. Then let's have Zane talk about some disappointments all right well we already went over darling in the franks so i'll just go with uh thunderbolt fantasy season two which is just ah. so for the most part i will i enjoyed thunderbolt fantasy season two i'm gonna start that off with that but then god damn it urobuchi please stop please please stop killing off female characters please stop doing that especially when that character has the most compelling arc in the show <sighs> it it just sort of it didn't quite kill my enjoyment of the rest of this of the rest of the show, but it certainly wasn't as exciting or interesting as everything that came before because it was just Arabuchi killing off the most interesting character in the show to just keep things moving along. And uh, please stop doing this, Arabuchi. Please stop. <laughs> you're you're good at writing everything else. Why this? Sometimes I feel like Genorobuchi should only be allowed to write the first part of something. Like, up until the first finishing point, then hand it, up to, hand it off to other people. Sometimes I feel like that's true. Yeah. Well, I guess that didn't really work for Psychopaths either, so maybe there is no ideal solution there, but man. Yeah, once he was off of Psychopaths, I feel like Psychopaths went just, like, the wrong direction. Abs- so. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> He needs someone to tell him to stop. Absolutely. Just in general. Yeah, maybe he just needs, like, a co-writer. <laughs> Very, yeah. Someone to work with him. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that that's basically what I have to say about that. I'm, I'm still kind of disappointed in it. I'm still excited for season three, but I'm just a bit more cautious about it now. And then, next thing I have up on here is uh, Professor Layton Cat's Mystery Solving Files which is one of the few shows that I dropped last year because uh, they kept reusing cases from the game and it was just really uninteresting. And add that to the fact that they had one episode of real plot per 13 episodes and it just got really frustrating, especially after they did four cases in a row from the game. And I was just like, I'm I'm done. I don't care anymore by the time it, they started doing <laughs> original stuff again. Ugh. And then Phoenix Wright shows up. Like, the game only has, like, five or six cases, right? So, like, 
They really, like, fucking load them all in together. No, it had, like, 11 or 12. Oh, did it? Yeah. Okay. I still hadn't finished it, so I wasn't sure. But, like, still, that's, like, that's a significant portion. Yeah, it, uh, it's, it's really frustrating, and it also frustrates me that they probably resolved the plot mysteries that they brought up at the start of the game, and they're probably gonna resolve that in the show. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, that's, that's that. And then, the only other show that disappointed me was uh, Yu-Gi-Oh! Vrains, which I think Sharps and I can both <laughs> express pretty well. We need two more hours for this podcast. <laughs> no, but yeah, Yu-Gi-Oh! Vrains just like, <clears throat> man, could have been so cool. Um, it's fo- It followed sort of the progression of the, the first three Yu-Gi-Oh! series, where it's sort of like, that once the, once they got to Zexel, it's sort of like, oh, they make this really goofy sort of one that's sort of like, you know, it's it's very much more for children. Then the second one kind of like builds upon that. And the third one's sort of the one for people who grew up with Zexel, where it's like, oh, it's trying to do something a little more mature, kind of like 5Ds. And it just falls flat in so many ways, predominantly in that it follows the Zexel thing of where the main character just isn't allowed to lose, which fucking sucks. Because that just means there's no drama. Like, yes, they always won in other series, but, like, they could lose is the thing. So, like, there is still some some drama to that. But he can't lose, and also he's, like, the most boring, unchanging character in the series. No. Uh, how, how many, like, supporting characters are there that also duel? There. Okay, so let's see. Well, so at the time we got, we got Soul Burner, who's a better character because he like he deals with his baggage. Uh, we have Blue Angel, who is the requisite girl who's very good at dueling and uses a really good deck and just constantly gets bodied because she's not important enough. Mm. We have Go, who turns crazy and evil in the second season because he's so mad that people beat him. Okay, so like a, a surprising amount. Yeah, so, like, there's totally a worthwhile supporting cast for him, but all of them are just there to support um, Playmaker's man angst. Mm. And it really sucks, because, again, so many other characters are, like, trying to help him, like, grow as a person, and he's like, mm, but fuck that. <laughs> I can start to say when I started had my doubts with this episode, and it's during the final confrontations of the first season, where I was like, oh, hey, Aoi's gonna beat up the guy who brainwashed her before. That's great. That shows her character growth. No, she loses. Oh she gets super bodied. Yeah. And then Playmaker has to win for her because Playmaker oh is the main character. And then after that, Go duels uh, the main villain, Revolver, but obviously he can't win, so Go loses, and Playmaker has to beat Revolver. That feels like how they'd handle it in, like, the video game adaptation. Right, absolutely. Where it's like, your OC yeah. <laughs> has to do it. Yeah, it... And then they don't even get to develop Aoi and Go in the second season because they introduce Soul Burners and they spend the first big chunk of the second season being like, hey, here's Soul Burner. He's the cool new guy. He also has a cool advanced AI and his first few duels are beating Aoi and Go to show that he's better than them. And it's just <laughs> so yep. frustrating. Whenever Soul Burner's not on screen, people should be asking, where's Soul Burner? <laughs> <sighs> oh, God, it 
it, they just... Yeah, it's no good. It, it's just so frustrating, and it could have been so much better if they didn't introduce Soulburner and just develop Go and Ally, and they just don't. No, everybody, the main characters have to be special, which I think you mentioned was a problem in a different Yu-Gi-Oh! series. Yeah, and just, like, the the way that it goes, it's like, you know, there there are things to be interested about with Playmaker, but the character himself seems so incurious about everything. He's just like, mm, but does that further my revenge plot? No? Well, fuck that. So, yeah, just, man, Reigns is bad. Yeah. <laughs> Seems every, every other Yu-Gi-Oh! show just has to be a little disappointing. Not as good. Yeah. Because it's all the, the, all the odd-numbered yeah. ones, in my opinion, are the, the ones that are really special. Mm-hmm. Mm. And so... Uh, I, it's already been covered, Darling of the Franks and Yu-Gi-Oh! Reigns. Um, as far as other disappointments I had, uh, Violet Evergarden. So, uh, Jordan says that, like, after episode four, it gets more into the novel stuff and it's a lot better. I did not make it that far. I made it about three episodes in and just, like, it was really boring. I feel like it wasn't taking advantage of a lot of the things they set up about the world that could be interesting. Mm -hmm. And, like, especially as it seems to lay more into sort of the themes of, like, oh, this guy who basically adopted a girl and turned her into, like, a war machine has these, like, weird romantic uh, feelings towards her. And also, like, the there's an arc about, like, how age shouldn't matter in love just kind of gives off a bad vibe yeah. where I'm like, mm, even though this looks like the most beautiful anime in the universe, I don't know if I could, like, sit through it. So, yeah. I was really disappointed by it story-wise. I'll say, even though I ended up liking the show in the end, you know, four episodes... That's still nearly a third of the show, and if that much of it is mm -hmm. not good, then I think that alone warrants it being disappointing. There is a reason yeah. the three-episode test exists. <laughs> yeah, you'd hope by three episodes something would be fixed by it. Something but, would happen. Mm, yeah. I then also put on Tata Can't Fall in Love here, where, like, I was really excited for it because it is... It was a romance series being done by the um, Monthly Girls Nozaki-kun uh, staff, and they had handled that adaptation really well, where it was, like, a little more comedy-focused, and this one seemed like it was going to be a little more romance-focused. Like, it seemed like it could be a really interesting sort of, like, kind of flip side to Nozaki. And I just feel like it, it falls into that romance trap of trying to make a character just, like, a pervert with a heart of gold. And, like, that's his whole thing. And I think that just every joke that involves him is so tired at this point. And, like, it's not, it wasn't great to begin with, but just, like, there's nothing more you can do with pervert characters. It just, that's how it goes. And so it just, it just pulled everything down in such a way that, like, because he kept popping up, I, I couldn't stand to watch more. The weird thing about the, the pervert character is that his character arc or like that whole element of him sort of gets resolved in one of the pretty early episodes but then they just immediately revert that character development and make him a pervert again and i like all the other characters it's just him and he pulls it down so much because again yeah like they have a point where it's like he only acts out this way because he's got like issues with like intimacy and just like being honest with himself about like romance and stuff and so like that's fine but then yeah they just don't they go back on that, and it sucks. Yeah. I forgot that this show was by the uh, Nozaki-kun theme, and within that context, it is definitely 
quite disappointing because that was a great show. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And then the last disappointment I had was Banana Fish, where I think before I said it, I thought it was like a 30-something volume series that got fit into 24 episodes. It's a 27-volume series that got fit into 24 episodes, so I don't know how much they may have cut out from it, but it still feels like there's just like, as an adaptation, it feels like there's so many things missing in terms of like character development to make play- way for the fucking just homophobia. like incredibly dense plot. <laughs> Not the homophobia, though there is some of that. Though some of that's only added by the translation, which is an issue oh, also. I did not know that. Oof. Like, they don't actually use, as far as I understand, like, none of the slurs used are in the original. That is a, that is a punching up by the, by the, the subbing staff mm. at Amazon. Oof. Yikes. But, like, everything else with it is, like, there's so much plot that it seems like it gets in the way of the character developments for... Like, the the relationship between Ash and Eiji. Like, I feel like individually they both have very strong arcs, but it feels like they sort of exist together exactly enough for you to feel like maybe they have a relationship together without building on that. And I also think that, like, the change to make it, like, modern day just doesn't do anything and in some ways kind of detracts from it because it no longer feels like, oh, it's like a pulpy series from this very particular sort of time where this sort of thing made more sense. Hmm. It it now feels like out of place and sort of like, mm, like it feels socially out of touch. Yeah. It feels socially out of touch. It feels more tasteless. Yes, absolutely. Um, than it would if it were still like, Oh, this is takes place in like the seventies or eighties where like this definitely like fit the, the genre staples of pulp more at the time. Hmm. So with that said, Jordan, what's the biggest disappointment of the year? So this was a tough pick for me uh, because when Darling in the Franks uh, eventually inevitably imploded, I was really disappointed because before I that I thought, oh, this show is actually way better than everybody said it was. I'm gonna I'm gonna ride this out like this big surprise breakout anime. And I'm gonna enjoy it all the way through <laughs> and then prove the haters wrong with my 500 page essay about uh, why. The doggy style mech anime is actually fantastic. <laughs> and then uh, and then it was not. It was just uh, like it fell from grace with grace uh, so quickly and that just sucked. But the same is true for My Hero Academia and that was a show that I had liked for longer before that and that I had liked without any bias going into it and that made the pain feel more serious like i did not expect this series to have such a sudden and strong lull in quality and that was a real bummer like i i almost didn't make it through this season i wanted to like uh say to the anime viewing crew can we drop this and for a show that had such a like killer first two seasons that's just that's unbelievable so that's the that's the winner that's the biggest disappointment for me damn yeah also, there was too much diaper boy in this season. <laughs> That's enough. a complaint yeah. I can get behind. <laughs> Alright. Uh, my biggest disappointment was Thunderbolt Fantasy Season 2 for mm. my enjoyment of that series coming into co- to a complete dead stop at because Urobuchi can't stop killing women and he killed the most compelling character in the series. God damn it. That really t- will take the wind out of your sails. Yeah. Like, a woman yeah. gets killed. Yeah. yeah. And Gen Urobuchi does it right in front of your eyes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's holding the knife in his hands as he cuts the strings of the puppet. 
I'm broadcasting live to every living room in the world to show you this. <laughs> uh, it just hampered my enjoyment of the rest of the season, and because of that, it's it's my biggest disappointment for just making me cautious about the rest of the about season three going forward and just killing my enjoyment of the rest of season two. Hmm. Now I'm gonna type my cast myself a little bit. The biggest point was Yu-Gi-Oh brains. Hey, man. And I'll tell you, it's not only because the character writing is bad. It's because, let's look back on Yu-Gi-Oh! 5Ds for a second. That's what I'm talking about. Crow was supposed to be a villain. He was supposed to turn bad and die. But his deck was so popular and everyone loved his <laughs> cards so much that they literally wrote in a change to the plot so that he would become popular and cool and a good guy. And he derailed several other plots for other characters. And in Yu-Gi-Oh! Reigns, they had Go Onizuka whose deck was good enough to go to Worlds. They had Ghost Girl, whose deck was good enough to go to Worlds. They had, and win Worlds, in fact. Then they had Blue Angel, whose deck was good enough to get second place at Worlds. And yet, they will not bend over backwards to write any of those characters to be better. So fuck you, Geoffrey. <laughs> Here's my complaint. These decks are so good, and they keep being good. And they won't do the same for f that they did for fucking Crow. Crow did not and deserve Crow it. Crow is a garbage man. The Crow sucks, dude. <laughs> and his deck isn't even cool. Like, it's so lame. Why do people like it? <laughs> <laughs> and so, that's my complaint with Yu-Gi-Oh! Brains. Please tune in for my dissertation later. How was the new mechanic? Like, I'm sure they added a new mechanic to the card game. Oh, uh, Lynx? Lynx are cool. Um... Lynx is how you do, I summon a bunch of monsters in one turn, but legally. Right, yeah, no, it, like, it's supposed to balance out other, like, summoning styles, and it's, like, pretty cool, actually. I like it a lot. Nice. Well, that's what, that's a silver lining, I suppose. Yeah, no, I think the, I think the game has changed in some very interesting ways, and so, like, <laughs> the actual game of Yu-Gi-Oh, um, uh, biggest surprise, uh, Yu-Gi-Oh Reigns, uh, biggest disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's, let's come up for a bit, and let's just talk about best production. Let's talk about the shows that we think just looked good, sounded good, really, like, stuck to a theme or idea, and really sold its premise. And let's start with Zane on that one. Alright, well, I'm gonna start off with, uh, Thunderbolt Fantasy Season 2 to get back to that. Despite the fact that it disappointed me a lot, it's still a really impressive piece of production that they did all these special effects that they got the the puppets to do all this stuff. It's it's still a really impressive piece of media in and of itself that they put all this work towards that it's still this weird miracle of Genorobuchi finding this puppet company and being, hey, this is really cool. I want to show this to everybody else. And so that's how Thunderbolt Fantasy was born. And they actually managed to have a puppet do the anime pushes up glasses with finger thing and it owes. <laughs> nice. Oh, shout outs to the Wuja artists out there. Yeah. Because the hands are static in Wushu, right? So do they get like a special mold where they have the uh, the ring finger and the middle finger like together to I do that? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> they good. created a new hand just for this. That same puppet also had creepy smiles where they showed its teeth. It ruled. <laughs> mm. God. But yeah, Thunderbolt Fantasy is just a really impressive uh, endeavor. And then after that, I'm going to go with uh, Megalobox, which just looks like a long lost anime that fell out of the 90s. Absolutely. I was going to say the same thing. Yeah. And it really sells that by the... <laughs> 
I can't think of another word to describe it but bold. The bold decision of the director to be like, so we drew it at like, you know, like 720p, which is the normal, like, you know, the, the normal size of the, the frames in modern anime. Uh, we shrunk it down to 360 and then blew it back up. <laughs> <laughs> it does. I actually didn't know that, but I did think it looked a lot like that. Right. So, so it looks a little blurry. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Some scenes in this show reminded me of, like, old, bad VHS to DVD transfers. Yeah. It, <laughs> and they are. Yeah, I just love that it looks just so gritty and gross, and it really just fits the whole the whole show. It, it's really just good. And you can tell that there's just so much craft behind it, too. Like, it takes, again, a bold move to, like, look at the craft on display for Megalobox, like the fighting scenes and stuff, and then go, mm. But what if for thematic purposes we made it look bad? <laughs> but but like let let it be known that there are still a lot of parts that do look like genuinely good. They're like super well animated, mm-hmm. all hand yeah. all hand drawn. I'm pretty sure. So yeah, yeah. You know, Megalog Bucks just looks so good, and like again, that stylistic choice. I understand why they did it, and I respect it. <laughs> Same mm-hmm. here. I I appreciate it a lot. All right, and then next up on my list, I'm gonna go with. Uh, Pop Team Epic for being just a miracle of circumstance in a completely different way than Thunderbolt Fantasy was, because it's just such a mishmash of incredibly different styles, and also getting two sets of VAs for every single episode. The the <laughs> the, the, the Akbu parts, the uh the Hoshiro Girl Drop joke previews, the uh just the the felt songs there's just so much love that went into everything into this show it's it's just incredible how how visually distinct a lot of the different parts are despite it just despite some of the most of the show just looking kind of jank yeah and you like you you read some of the interviews and stuff from them and basically it's like yeah this was basically like a hail mary like we basically just asked we tried to get all the connections we could we used up all of the um we, like, used up all the goodwill we had saved up so that we could put together this thing. And I think it really shows because, like, they have, like, five teams all working on um, different sorts of shorts for this show. And all of them have such a distinct uh, feel to all of them, where, like, Akbu really goes off of sort of, like, the surrealism of Pop Team Epic. And there are others that, like, try to tell bigger stories. And there's the one where, like, the, the, like, studio that's doing the 3D, they have one guy there who work, who speaks only French and English. <laughs> and basically, he's asked to look at a Pop Team Epic strip in its Japanese and guess what it's about and then make his own short based on what he thinks it's about. <laughs> so, like, there's so much weird craft and charm put into it that it's like, it seems like it's a miracle that it happens. And then also, like, at the very end where they have real live actors join them like like green screen themselves onto the show to become part of the story like it is such a mess but like that again that captures pop team epic so well in a way it's like oh yes of course if they were going to do it like this feels like the only way they could do it because there's no way to just like adapt the comic they adapt jokes but they don't adapt the comic yeah and then i think my other favorite little factoid about it is that they don't know what the akabu parts are going to be until they air it (laughs) <laughs> yeah, right, where it's like, we, we specifically decided with Akbu, who do these, like, horrifying, grotesque things, we're not gonna watch them, there's no second take, we just get it in the mail one day with no message, <laughs> and we put it on the TV. Pop Team Epic is so, such a beautiful mess that, uh, it's, it's great. Yeah, no, it's very good. Yeah. 
And then next up is uh, Review Starlight, which is has a lot of effort put into it in a different manner in its music, because this is a show about musical theater, and almost every episode, they have a new song and the, that relates to the basically the moral struggle between the two members, the two people that are fighting that day. And it's all sung by the VAs themselves, because they all got, like, I think actual theater actresses to to play the characters. You won't really recognize any of the uh, the VAs that did review Starlight, and... That's cool. Yeah, it's really cool, and the fact that they managed to have so many different songs and have them all thematically connect and managed to do so many different takes of the ED and have that all connect, that there there's just a lot of love that went into all of, into the whole show not to mention like all the imagery that's used for the the stage battles it's all just it's all just really stylish and well done and i i just like that a lot yeah it seems like it really doubles down on like the stylistic um themes of like utena which does a very similar thing where all the fights are set to songs that are literally about the character conflicts but again it's just like by it being about musicals, by being about stage performance, it really doubles down on the aesthetics of that. Yeah. And also there's a very large giraffe man that announces all of it. Yes, there is a there is a magical talking giraffe that observes all of it, and he is a great character. Because he's voiced by Seto Kaiba. <laughs> Hell yeah! And then, my last pick is Lupin Part 5, which is just... Every every single Lupin anime since uh, Fujiko Mine has looked really, really good, and Part 5 mm-hmm. is no exception. It's It still feels like it has its own unique style compared to other modern animes of today, and I really like that they just keep sticking with that style. And I also appreciate that they made it look like a, uh, in a, like a more Western cartoon for the OP, because it takes place in Italy. And Lupin just does everything with such style and such flair that I'm. It just really looks really good. Yeah, it 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 expands on the part four art style in a way that I think is really good. But also, like one really nice touch as far as the production goes is like in between all of the stories that make up the the like proper plot of Lupin Part Five, we have these throwback episodes to old parts of Lupin where like. His character's a little different, and everyone's character's a little different, and the dynamic's a little different, and they also, like, write and, in some ways, like, draw in the style of older Lupin to sort of, like, recapture that feel as this kind of, like, big celebratory sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, I almost forgot about the, uh, the interlude episodes. Yeah, those are all really fantastic throwbacks to past Lupin series. I, I really enjoyed that, too. But yeah, that's, that's mine. All right, uh, and then Jordan, tell me about your picks. All right, so for me, there's not a, a lot of crossover with uh, the rest of you. Actually, I guess there's a little. First of all, this one's unique to me. It's Devilman Crybaby. This is a show had a lot of excitement behind it, uh, largely because of the director, and I guess also some like holdover excitement based on what series it is. And I didn't end up liking it all that much. Uh, like, it, it was fine, uh, but based on just the, the general sentiment on it, I was expecting something a little more revelatory, which it wasn't as far as story is concerned, but visually it certainly was. Um, like, this was uh, just a, an absolute treat for the eyes. Like, all the animation was was so loose and it all flowed so well. 
it was just uh, it, it was just like really lovely to look at the way things moved. Uh, it reminded me a little bit of uh, the Tatami Galaxy, except just on on a much higher budget, or just they had more time to do it. It just looks like a, a more complete version of that show. I mean, it makes a lot of sense given that it comes from the same team and style, like. Right. And also the fact that Devilman Crybaby was not like a TV anime, right? It just all dropped at once. Yeah, they they did have that Netflix money behind it, presumably, and that and that paid off. I've I've never seen an anime move in the way this show does, and for it to be like that and also do that well on top of that, that's a big achievement. Uh, then next up, this one we've already talked about a little bit. Uh, it's Violet Evergarden. The complete polar opposite of Devilman Crybaby. It's super traditional in its, in its style. It's just the best at that. Um, it, it reminded me, or I saw a lot of people sort of compare it to Makoto Shinkai movies in the way that there's just a lot of room given to the movement of very tiny things and details. And it's, it, it's all just so amazing. Like all the characters move so beautifully and, and the corners aren't cut on anything. It's it's um like the, the the frame rate's always or like the the rate at which it is animated is always really nice and everything always has the proper level of detail to it. And it's just amazing. Uh, as we already hinted at earlier, especially like the 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 metal hands of the protagonist, there are like gifs out there of what it looks like before uh the before the lines are finished and before the colors are added and just seeing how many different like cells the hands consist of and just how much that shifts in between frames. It's just amazing seeing how much work went into this show. And it's like QAnnie, man, with that Netflix money, they they really went out and did it all. And it's amazing. Yeah, regardless of the quality of the show's stories or how people feel about them, it is undeniable that Kiwani releases some of the best looking and like best animated stuff in the business. Mm-hmm. And it's because they're like they, they've basically escaped the hell of TV anime production. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The next on the list is uh, Hanebado. Um, maybe the like least impressive stylistically of all these shows. Uh, before just a regular TV anime, just an incredibly consistent production. Uh, like um, much like with the intro, like the the movements always smooth. Characters always look on model, and they really managed to make. Uh, badminton look super exciting and I just like stuff they do with characters that you don't see in anime a lot Like I like the way, even though I think the way they portray the PTSD as basically like a robot shutting down is not very good um, the way they handle it that visually being what it is was very nice and I also like that um, I, I forget her name but like the 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 character with like the, the short spiky hair, the girl with the short spiky hair. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I liked uh, the way they animated her differently from all the other characters. Like there was way more power behind her moves than of her opponents. There was a lot of that just all around the show. And so much attention to the tiny movements, like how, yes. you know, she has kind of like a busted ass knee and that plays so much into the way that she moves in comparison to other characters. Yeah. And like just all the like little tiny stuff that you wouldn't normally notice, but is like, very sports, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. I did think it was kind of funny that they visualize her powering up in the same way that they visualize her, like, messing up her knee. Because they always show, like, a muscle flexing whenever, like, in the um, like in the lower part of her leg, whenever something goes wrong. 
but that's also what they do when she like is about to shoot the real shot. Mm-hmm. But always look dope, and that's what matters for this category. So there you go. Hell yeah. Um, and then my final entry, uh, this is the the cool um this is the this is the scrappy one. Uh, it's Mekao Day, the um the the Kickstarter uh, anime OVA. Like the original trailer for this may look like it was gonna be super cool, like a lot of uh just uh, like very uh, very loose line art, uh, which allowed for like very a lot of free animation, and it is like it delivered on that in spades. Um, and what I thought was especially impressive about it, especially considering that it is such a such a ragtag production, is how well the 3D is integrated into this show. Like it might be some mm-hmm. of the best I've ever seen, and that's ridiculous for such a like amateur. And I mean that in like a, a beginner sense, not in a like unprofessional sense. Like, for what was mostly made by people doing, like, really early work in their career, this show is amazing. And it, the, all of the animation stuff is, like, one person. Like, yes. 3D might be another person, but there's, like, maybe two people working on the visuals for this thing. And it's, it, it really does, like, I think the, not messy, but the very, like, utilitarian sort of, like, cell shading that it uses yeah really makes it so that the the mech stuff uh, like blends in way better yeah and it's interesting because it looks both like there and present but also alien in a way i think that was mostly thanks to the color work because the characters are all like uh softer earthy tones and then the the mech arms and limbs are all like harsh harsh grays and bright colors uh that was a really good decision i think yeah, I, I think that, like, Makaude is definitely, like, one of, like, our indie pick, you know, because <laughs> mm-hmm. it's, like, I don't think they've released it for, like, general consumption. I assume someone has, but, like, the people who made it is for, like, the Kickstarter backers. But, like, yeah. Makaude is such an incredible, like, proof of concept for, like, not necessarily, like, you don't need a huge staff to make anime because this still took, like, several years to put out. Right. But, like the the ingenuity of like modern animators and stuff like how one punch man used a lot of like digital artists and like up and coming sort of people to like show just how much they can do you know mm-hmm. on their own like this does that a similar sort of thing and again the fact that it's like one person animating one person doing the music like the the small sort of studio and what it comes out with even though it's not the most like impressive looking thing like what they're able to accomplish is so incredible totally absolutely blown away yeah all right and then mine so we've already gone over pop team epic we've already gone over violet evergarden we've already gone over megalobox we've already gone over through mechow day <laughs> so the last one i have to say for this one is uh Iriduku, the world in colors this was uh this year's like big pa works animation this was like an original story that i think they they captured uh, so i when i talked about this before like the the visual metaphor of sort of the main character's depression being that she literally doesn't see the world in colors and only when she finds something that truly like can make her excited or happy she sees in colors is not like unique and it's it's, it's very like in your face but i think that that along with pa works sort of like not exactly kiwani but a very similar sort of like artistic style to how they do like backgrounds and like visual flair and stuff really makes this a a standout look from from like you know a lot of other pa work stuff like it feels like it has just an extra layer of polish to it in using like visual metaphor for this sort of stuff in being about 
art and being about sort of like the way these people connect over like photography and other sort of like artistic pursuits in the in the pursuit of sort of like self-actualization and happiness. I think Iroduku just does an incredible job with what it has in order to tell a very, very compelling story about learning to love oneself. Hell yeah. I haven't finished this show yet, um, but one thing that I do agree with, which was one of the first things you said, said, is that this series has very strong, purposeful use of colors. Mm -hmm. And that was what really impressed me uh, most about this show, because I think as far as production goes, it's not, you know, it's it's good, but it's not like super impressive. But uh, that really like caught my eye and that was cool. Yeah, and especially as, like, you get further in and, like, they they start, like, using, like, magic to be able to, like, enter into one of the characters, like, drawings, you can see how much the style changes into sort of, like, it's, it's, it's aligned differently and there's so much different, like, vibrant sort of, like, watercolory sort of, like, effects over everything in a way that, like, again, just, like, pushes forward, like, visual metaphor and stuff. Mm-hmm. That sounds cool. Yeah. And so, Zane. What's your what what was the best production for you? For me it was absolutely Pop Team Epic for just such a well-executed wonderful mishmash of styles that you just wouldn't think to see in anything ever. Yeah, no, definitely. Like again, Pop Team Epic feels like something that shouldn't have happened the way it did, but it did, and for that I think it is 100% commendable. Yeah. Uh Jordan so for me, this one's difficult uh, because I feel like I have a lot of, um, like I, I guess, alternative series on my list, and I always like to be very progressive with what I give kudos to. So I like to give kudos to things that are like interesting and push at the boundaries of what a medium can be. That's how Violet Evergarden is just so <laughs> unbelievably beautiful that I feel like I have to give it to this show. You know, I often say. Dang, they don't make them like that anymore. When I look at, you know, 80s anime that like really had a, a certain flair to them that I, I, that I really dig and that just animated really superf- superfluous elements really well. But in this case, it's more like, dang, they've never made an anime like this yet. And it's just, it's one of a kind and it's astounding in how just consistent and pretty it is. And I think for me, like, what wowed me the most production-wise was Megalobox. Like, I think about all of the, like, work on the, like, the mechanical stuff, you know, their their gauntlets and stuff, and, like, the way it changes from character to character, and, like, how much that plays into the narrative as well as, like, such a cool piece of storytelling, and just, like, the way that they just, you know... A- <laughs> I think when I talked about this originally when we were, like, reviewing it, sometimes there's something really charming about a show where, like, big beefy dudes get emotional by just beating the absolute shit out of each other. And I think that Megalobox so well captures buff dudes just beating the absolute shit out of each other in order to, like, understand each other. And I think that that's, like, captured in so many ways from, like, the way that they have these... Especially, like, Joe has so many, like, lingering um, injuries throughout the series. They're sustained throughout so much, and you just see how much he's, like, getting beat to shit from fight to fight, like, as he's literally forced to push himself. And I just think, like, so much of that, like, goes into the storytelling, and I think that, yeah, Megalobox just, like, does what it sets out to do so well, and, like, 
trying to feel old school and like trying to capture this other time in anime to like feel a more little more like it's its source you know and i i really love that and again we have to we have to fall down a little bit as we talk about the worst animes we watched this season so i would like to note uh (laughs) i only watched three bad anime (laughs) this year and it looks like Zane only watched one truly bad anime this year. So Jordan's going to do the heavy lifting. <laughs> but in that case, we'll start from the least amount of bad shows to the most <laughs> bad shows. <laughs> so the worst show I watched this year was Darling in the Franks for... It is the reason why I said it was disappointing earlier, where it had all of these nice themes going for it, where these teens raised in this really weird, sterile environment trying to work out these emotional their emotions between each other and it felt like it was going to go say something about, like, how children were only being viewed as adults by potential workers to them, and then it just decided to be Gurren Logan for no reason and smash all of its themes and ambitions to pieces and it's just... It's just... It's such a terrible move to do that sort of thing, just to try and recapture, like, past glories of, oh, hey, people from long... People liked Gurren Lagann, why don't we just do that again? And disregard everything we've built up before. And just... It... It just was... As much of a stupid, idiotic spectacle as it was to see crash itself into the ground, maybe even to the core of the planet, I just... I hate that it did that. I got really frustrated. Well, (laughs) I was half frustrated with it and half incredibly amused by what this train wreck was turning into, but, uh, yeah, for... For running over all of its own themes, I'd say for me the worst show I watched last year was Darling in the Franks. I also have Darling in the Franks here. Again, did not make it very far, but just again, it's like, was 0% feeling it, and like, everything I heard about was like, mmm, really glad I dropped that. (laughs) So, Darling in the Franks takes up this list. Also on this list, I have Shio's School Road, which was a comedy series that I was going into because I got a lot of recommendations. Maybe the manga's better. Again, like, comedy pacing is so different between uh, manga and anime, and I think maybe the anime just didn't capture that well, but it was like, consistently unfunny it looked really bad and i feel like just even when it was like being intentionally ugly it was like way uglier than it should have ever been so i was just like just from the start just nothing about it like appealed to me and even though it like occasionally had a good joke for all of those it had a bunch of really bad ones too that just like could not hit a landing even a little bit and that was a real disappointment and then the last one is Banana Fish, which, like, is disappointing and also, like, I, I put it on here because, like, maybe it isn't, like, the worst show of the year, but, like, it really, it, it really feels like it, like, neuters itself for the way that it was put together. And I feel like that's just, like, a damn shame because maybe there's something good in it, but I just, like, I could not stand to recommend this anime to anyone, not only just because of, like, the content within it, but just, like, the way it's put together and all of that just there was 
it, it just felt like every time it's just like, oh, this is just like not being done well at all. Dang. Yeah. Like, I mean, again, props to everyone who likes that. Like, I assume that, like, again, the manga handles this much better. It's just like, I feel like this anime adaptation had so many things going wrong for it that just it couldn't pull itself out of. All right. So uh, I want to say before I start uh, that I only went to seek out one of these as being a bad anime. (laughs) So I just like I had a, a stroke of bad luck this year. When it comes to what I what I ended up watching, uh, and I guess we'll start off with that one because why not? That was Killing Bites. <laughs> Killing Bites hit the ground running this year as being the first anime that got really controversial controversial for just how unbelievably just bad and grotesque it was, and that made me a little curious. I don't remember why. <laughs> hmm. Uh, but something did eventually drive me to watch Killing Bites, uh, and it was as bad as people said. Um, it occasionally <laughs> looked decent, um, and it had a couple of fights that were, like, well animated, and that's the best I can say about it. It is, like, bizarrely sexual at all times, which makes it very weird. So, like, even even the fights are made very, it's very sexual violence, and, you know, I don't like that very much. But it's just, like, it's unbelievably horny. And while that's okay, sometimes it is so overbearing in this show that it just, you can't help but, like, stare through the looking glass and try to see what the writers were up to while they were working on this show. And then, just, like, the plot isn't isn't very engaging and the stakes are always pretty low. Uh, and all the characters are just, like insufferable but also one-dimensional so you can't even be interested in like why they get up to the bad stuff they do and then it's just also like really gross in a lot of ways a lot of rape happens in this show Ugh, that's unfortunate uh so it's just like you know at best this could have been like a cool knockoff bloody roar anime (laughs) instead Uh we got like just a knockoff bloody roar anime that's a shame uh, next on the list, uh, I have Devil's Line. This is just one I randomly picked up uh, because I thought, like, I'm always into sort of uh, urban fantasy. Like, that's just inherently appealing to me. Um, and it's always yeah, a throw of the dice. Like, it could be good, it could be bad. I did not expect the show to be as bad as it was. Like, it was just unbelievably ugly, for one. Like, it's one of the most poorly animated shows I've ever seen. Characters will be talking to each other, and their eyelines will just miss. <laughs> Characters will stand in the background in really awkward poses, and then do a transitionary animation before they talk, and then start talking in, like, a weird different pose. And just, like, the the whole plot is really unengaging, because sort of the mystery surrounding, like, the secret vampire society of this show is, like, really misty. And you don't get enough of a look into it for it to sort of grab you and make you interested. So it's just kind of, it just kind of goes along with this like weird crummy, like, I don't know, like Twilight through the, through the eyeglass of Gantz storyline. <laughs> and it's uh-huh. all just, oh man. Yeah. It's oof. All right. Like, I do not, I do not recommend watching this show. And I, I tried to finish it for some reason. I just felt like that was right. And I couldn't do it. 
because it was just so unappealing in every way. Then the next three are ones I'm actually like passionate about for good or for ill. Uh, the first is uh, Ulysses, Jean d'Arc, and the Alchemist Knight. So this one's just like crappy. It's it's a horrible production <laughs> for one, and that alone is enough to put it on the list. But it's also just like as a narrative, it is unbelievable that someone thought this was a good idea. So the protagonist is uh, Montmercy, who gets into like this relationship with um, like a sexual relationship or at least like romantic relationship with a lot of the characters. In reality, like Montmercy was like a an infamous like rapist and pedophile. Like, it's unbelievable that they cast this character as a sympathetic protagonist of the show. And that that is what makes this... Like, besides it just being a bad anime, that's what really tipped this one over the line for me. Right, like, even... So, I didn't know that. But, like, even yeah. just looking at it, it, like, it feels like it's basically this big wizard dude basically collects, like, famous, like, famous women warriors at, like, very young ages and trains them. That's already kind of weird. That is, yeah, like, in and of itself, it's already very uncomfortable. So maybe they knew and they just loved him for it. Oh, Whatever mm. monster was responsible for this. All right, next up we have, uh, here it is again, Junji Ito Collection. So, <laughs> uh, right out the gate, I'll say I'm not a fan of Junji Ito. Like, at all, I actually strongly dislike most of his stuff. I think he is, like, over-regarded. Because as far as I'm concerned, he's basically a gross-out artist. Like, people love him for, like, his weird, creepy panels. But his narratives, most of the time, are, like, pretty bad. There are exceptions. I think he has a couple of really strong storylines. But, like, yeah, it should be said that this was already not going to be a series for me going in. But, like, even as someone who just looks at him as someone who makes, like, creepy art. And there's still value in that, don't get me wrong. I just think people give him credit in areas where he doesn't deserve it. But, like, even for that, this show is not just, like, this is not a good tribute to Junji Ito. It is just, like, unbelievably ugly. The show is, like, super poorly animated. And all, like, the big money shots that are adapted from the manga just look so much worse. And a lot of the time, they just don't work as being disturbing. (laughs) And another big problem is that because Junji Ito is so well known for, like, his creepy money shots... The show is constantly like rushing through the storyline to get you th- to get you to that stuff, and sometimes it even cuts out whole parts of the stories. Like my favorite Junji Ito story is uh, the Long Dream. Uh, that is the one with the picture of like the eraser head baby crossed with the alien from American Dad lying on the hospital bed. Probably know <laughs> that picture. Uh huh. That's like a really interesting story about like a, a character whose dreams feel super long, like years on end, and then when he wakes up, only a day has passed. And, like, sort of the the discordancy between, like, the relations he has with other people are affected by that in a really interesting way. And they just rush through it to get to the part where he looks like the Eraserhead baby, and then it stops, even though that's only, like, <laughs> half of the original story. Um, and then the, the first episode, they picked a terrible first episode, like, they picked, uh, or a terrible story for the first episode. They picked one of, like, Junji Ito's, like, long-running comedy characters for the first episode just like this empty droning storyline and then they cover another story in like a minute and then the episode ends it's just the show is so poorly handled even looking at it from a perspective of someone who doesn't like junji that much to begin with and then my last entry um this one really got my blood boiling this year's it's goblin slayer (laughs) Uh i won't talk about like 
just the horrific, downright evil political agenda this show has. Because that's like that alone is enough to make it really bad. But it's also just like one of the lamest productions I've <laughs> ever seen. Like all the characters are boring. The art never looks good. The protagonist looks like something out of the 2016 Berserk anime a lot of the time. The, just <laughs> Jesus, the plot makes no sense. The, the world building is just like, it, it's built on like sort of this meta commentary on isekai stories. And it's just dreadful the whole way through. This anime has no redeeming qualities. And I have, I don't understand why this was the most popular anime of 2018. Anime fans are garbage? I think it's called Controversy. Maybe so. The jury's out on that one. Um, but, like, a lot of the time I don't get the popular anime, you know, Sword Art Online, I don't get that, that kind of things I won't have, but sort of, you know, I get that sometimes you just want your anime, and if it's just okay, that's good enough. This show is, like, (laughs) utter putrid garbage in every possible respect, and I don't know how people even watch this all the way through for enjoyment, let alone loving it. It was it was just a waste of two hours of my life, uh, four hours of my life, and I'm mad about it. <laughs> uh huh. And that's it. Damn. <laughs> well, uh, Zane, uh, from your one show, which was the worst <laughs> anime of the year, <laughs> my it's once again, Darling in the Franks, for what just the? destroying its own potential. Good job. <laughs> um. Uh, not not to follow along again. One uh, one that I like. I I spent all. I still watched all of Banana Fish. So like, even though I feel like it did not live up to anything, like I I still watched it because there was something to be gained from it. I thought so. Uh, ultimately, the worst one was Chio School Road because it's just it's just a really bad comedy and like I don't know. It was actively visually repulsing. Uh, and Jordan, which one's your least favorite? Uh, so this one might actually surprise you a little bit, because um, it's not Goblin Slayer. Wow, okay. I think oh. I, I I dislike Goblin Slayer more than my actual pick. Like, I have just, like, I find the fact that it exists genuinely upsetting. But the thing is, and this is a philosophical question that sort of draws me to this winner, does the Junji Ito collection <laughs> even count as anime? Because it is so often just barely animated like the amount of like the the minimal amount of work that goes into some of these episodes is unbelievable and it's a shame because sometimes the style of it is quite nice like there's this really lovely sort of inked uh outlining style to everything but like so little actual movement goes into this show like i'm pretty sure the story i mentioned earlier that only takes about one minute doesn't actually have any moving characters in it it's just still frame after still frame with maybe like a fireplace crackling in the background and that's it. And it's just, man, that's not right. So you're really going for worst anime. Like this is yes. an objectively bad anime in comparison to Goblin Slayer, which is an objectively bad thing that exists. Yeah, I mean, you know, if, if this was just a, like bad art, because I, I remember a few years ago we had like anime that we most wish didn't happen. Yes. And Goblin Slayer would have been that 100%. Like, it's the worst. Like, goddamn, this Goblin Slayer is just horrific. But Junji Ito Collection, like, barely exists. And it probably shouldn't have even made it to air with the way it looks. So, there you go. Fufa. All right. 
All right, but we come up. We have just the two shining beacons of the Coco Disaster Anime of the Year podcast. We have our best prestige anime and our best light anime. And yeah. we made this specification last year because... No, the year before that. Or no, the year before, two years ago. You're right. Hmm. Because we, we came to the realization that the things that we felt were like very genuinely like emotionally moving tended to find their way on the list, and we still wanted to give proper regards to the things that are just fun to watch. The, you know, the entertainment versus like sort of the, the art sort of thing. And so we, we decided on these names because it's about as best as we could get without feeling condescending one way or the other. <laughs> so uh, our best prestige anime are the ones that we feel like have like, again, we don't have like a great signifier for this, but like not more artistic merit, but like, you know, a more like broadly ambitious. Yeah, more ambitious sort of like artistic thing. It, it tries for something, whether it be emotional, whether it be artistic. You know, something within the form that makes it feel like it's it's greater. And so, um, Jordan, do you want to start us off? Absolutely. So, first off on my list, I have uh, Hanebaro making its hot return. Um, I feel like I've already, like, talked enough about this for the most part. Mm-hmm. I just want to say that, again, uh, character work in the show was just, like, really good. Um, and there was no aspect in which it faltered. It was just, like, super high quality all the way through. And in a way that we didn't expect, because we thought it was maybe at best going to end up in the best light anime category, but here it is. And I think one thing to say, too, is, like, the anime adaptation has been sold as, like, a better adaptation than, like, the manga, where the manga spends a lot of time kind of towing that line between, like, kind of goofy comedy and serious character drama Mm -hmm. that I think a lot of series do while they're still trying to kind of, like, find their footing, or maybe the author's trying to find their footing. So it, it transitions better because... It still has some kind of like goofy comedy moments, but the focus is still on the dramatic, which is where the story goes anyways. Yeah. Which I think helps push the story forward. Then my next entry is uh, Megalobox, uh, which I see both of you have on there as well. Um, (laughs) This was just like a really fantastic underdog character piece with a lot of great action, a lot of like really, really thoughtful, like more low energy moments. And I... I was thinking maybe it was just going to be like a cool, cool action series, but it, it ended up being that and also a lot more than that. And that's really cool. And one thing we didn't discuss a little bit, again, it's it's supposed to be sort of an update maybe to um, Ashita no Joe, which very yeah. popular boxing series. And it sort of twists what is the like arc of Ashita no Joe, where... Joe is, like, much more of a tragic character, kind of like a darker story. Megalobox kind of reinterprets that as an underdog story in a way that I think probably speaks more to our generation, to upcoming generations, than something like Ashita no Joe does. Hmm. Yeah, I think so. Like, something that is more inspiring and hopeful, you know, coming from uh, pretty bad circumstances... I mean, they live in kind of like a desolate nightmare world caused by capitalism. So, again, very, very relatable. <laughs> That's, yeah. And so, yeah, I think I think Megalobox does a good job of, like, recontextualizing the story and, like, making twists on it because of that to tell something different than, again, more hopeful. Yeah, Megalobox was just a, a series I enjoyed a lot. It It had a lot of style. It managed to have a good cast of characters on its way through it. 
Heck, it managed to make the token child character not super annoying. Yeah, and pretty good at rapping. Jury's out on that one. But he was mm. lovable, so it's okay. Yeah. 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 Uh, the next up on the list, uh, I have Rascal Does Not Dream of Bunny Girl Senpai, but I think I've already said everything about that that needs to be said. Just a much stronger character piece and uh, much more thematically resonant than I was uh, originally expecting it to be. And even though not a lot happens in it, like realistically speaking, I feel like the way the ways in which the characters evolve really manage, manages to carry the series through its 13 episodes and make it uh, worthwhile all the way through. And cool. Uh, then I have Makau Day. This one's probably the one that I think is hardest to justify, but it was just the show, or well, the show, it was one episode, but it was the anime that I got exactly out of what I wanted. And I was really unsure about it because with this kind of thing, like with Kickstarter, it's really common for the project to falter partway through or for the result to be really disappointing. Like, we had the case a couple years back with Under the Dog, which... Yes, that was a real bummer. It, w- it was a real bummer because so much happened on the back end that sort of, like, neutered it. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is just, like, it was, you know, a clean production, and it came out... You know, because I didn't really know exactly what the story was going to be beforehand, I still got to, got to like, ride it out and really enjoy it. It was just, like, a, a super cool, high-quality action series that I hope gets picked up for an extended run or something at some point. Yeah, they described it as a pilot, and it comes off as very, in the same, like, sort of shonen style as, like, a, a Zatch Bell. Yeah. And it, I think it, it's very charming. And yeah, again, we it, it we put it prestige, presumably because of the small staff, like, as sort of a proof of concept, you know? Mm-hmm. And I always, I, I feel bad about putting action series on the on the light list, so that's sort of more my mm-hmm. my idea of things. But that's in the eye of the beholder. Uh, and then my last pick, I'm actually going to like change right now at the last minute because I noticed that um, we're allowed to put movies on the list. I yeah, didn't know we're that. allowed to put movies. Oh, I'm um, sorry, yeah. So instead of, um, instead of Irozuku, The World in Colors, I'm going to make my last entry, I Want to Eat Your Pancreas. So this was like a series I, I already knew a little bit about. I knew about the manga and roughly what it was about. And of course, like everybody knows about it just because of its like comedic title. Mm-hmm. Um but like I, I, what I got out of it is a show that is, or a movie that is really good, despite how unassuming it is. I guess like it, it's a kind of story that I feel like we've all seen enough about before. It's about two characters bonding over the the incoming fatality of one of them, and it's it's nothing about the way it develops narratively is particularly unique. But I like just how. Well, I managed to convey the way that things don't really change when you know a, a loved one is going to die, but they also do in another way. Like, it's still it's still the same relationship, and you still have fun, and you still, like, enjoy each other's company in the same way. But something, like, something does change, and something does get weird about the way you communicate. Uh, and that is something that I don't think I've ever really seen portrayed this well in a piece of media before, and that... I really enjoyed that, and that made this a good movie. It was also just, like, in general, like, a very well-done production, uh, and just every part about it was really good, but that's what really made it go above and beyond, in my opinion. hmm That's the list. Hmm. All right. Uh, Zane, you go next. All right. Well, I'm going to start off with maybe a shocking pick for this, which is uh, Garo Vanishing Line. 
because I am a sucker for Toku, and this was my first experience with uh, with Garo as a series. I know it's got live-action stuff, and I know it's got anime, and I just kind of wanted to take a chance with it, and while it doing the standard sort of Toku stuff with, with its action-y bits, it also managed to be a really surprisingly heartfelt tale with a, uh, with its cast of characters, with Sophie being a pretty solid point-of-view character for the weird supernatural shit that was going on, and Luke also having a, a fairly nice character arc with Gina and, uh, and Sora just sort of being more complete characters, and, and the four of them make a nice main cast. It, it really managed to surprise me with how much they managed to make... For a series that's supposed to be dark and mature, you wouldn't expect something very, I guess, hopeful and more optimistic to come out of it, but it did. It's, it, its ending felt fairly optimistic and managed to be a little goofy at the same time, but I enjoyed Garo a lot, and uh, I'm, I'm really glad I watched it, even if other parts of Garo the franchise are less good, apparently. <laughs> That is definitely my opinion, and I do agree that this uh, series had a, a very strong cast that I think it it, uh, it rides out on very well, and that's a big improvement over the rest of the Garo franchise that really helps it makes this show like step it up to the next level. Yeah. Uh, and then after that, I've got uh, Planet With, which was uh, written by Satoshi Mizukami, who I've heard does really good uh, stories in the Lucifer and Biscuit Hammer and Spirit Circle, and this is sort of my first experience with this author, and it turned out really, really well. It managed to make fights not just flashy, but also kind of have a moral conflict to them, that the characters were f weren't just fighting to fight, but fighting for a real purpose, that it managed to be a really interesting show about the the cyclical nature of conflict and overcoming one's personal desire for revenge and the aftermath of achieving one's revenge and just having empathy for other people, it it managed to surprise me with just how much it crammed into its 12, 12. 12 episode run. It just felt like a joy to watch every week and just discover new stuff that was happening. And I guess, and since it wasn't brought up earlier, it also has a really unique design for all of its mechs. They don't look, they aren't really mechanical. They, I think they were like all designed after, um, like this Japanese style of, uh, of pottery and they all do look like that way. It's, it's really, really neat. And all of them are like vaguely animalistic too, which yeah. like helps differentiate them. Yeah, they all look very unique and definitive, and it's a it's a series that I have a lot of love for. And then Megalobox was already brought up, so then I'm going to go over to SSSS Gridman, which was by Trigger, and honestly just was another good Toku-inspired series that I like that had a surprising amount of interesting character moments. It it teased its mysteries for a little bit too long, but the, the conclusions to some of those mysteries worked out really well. Not to mention the fact that they actually did a cool thing and left some things up to interpretation. It didn't explain everything. It explained just enough to answer a bunch of lingering questions, and I, I really like it when shows do that, that it leaves some things up to the viewer. It 
They managed to have a nice, satisfying character arc, and actually managed with the hero saving the villain from their own emotional turmoil, and I I really like it. It it has a lot of great animation. It It's just a really nice series that I just had a lot of fun watching. Uh, it, it made me glad that Trigger does seem to have some, you know, some good folks working for them. <laughs> and then my last uh, pick is Review Starlight, which I already talked about earlier for Biggest Surprise. It's, it's a nice, it's a very character-driven show. The fights develop the characters. There's a lot of interesting interaction. It, it takes a little, it took a little bit to get going, but it really managed to shine after it got over its early humps. And it was just a great character study of all of these different personalities just clashing together in this attempt to become the top star. And I, I talked about it more for our season review then, but I, I really enjoyed this show. I, it, it had a lot of love and heart put into it, and I'm glad I watched it on a whim. Mm-hmm. And then for me, we talked about Megalobox. We talked about Hanibato. So the other ones I have, I have Iriduku, The World in Colors, which, again, like I, like I said before, I think just, and I think that's going to be the same with another pick on my list. I really appreciate that there are a lot of more narratives coming out these days that focus on the sort of disenfranchised and like the people who feel really bad about the world and sort of how that becomes sort of like like inner regrets and like kind of inner turmoil and the way that these narratives go to explain that everyone sort of feels this way you know it's not you are not the only person to feel this way and so you shouldn't feel like you can't talk about your problems that you can't talk about the things that you're going through because it's such a universal thing to feel downtrodden to feel depressed to feel like there's no hope and so like March comes in like a lion does that really well. And I think Iroduku does that really well is sort of bringing together a cast of characters that in their own different ways have a lot of like self image issues and the way that they overcome them and start to understand, you know, the ways that they, they feel like they don't belong or they feel like things just aren't going the way that they're supposed to. And the ways that they're able to overcome them through self-care and you know finding people that they can talk to and like to relate to and i feel the same way with the the one next on the list which is ancient mage's bride which is about two characters one who has sort of been stripped of humanity by the by the systems that they've gone through and one who is literally inhuman but wants to exist within that world and both of them sort of like helping to fill the holes in each other to understand like, oh, you know, you need to love yourself. You need to realize that, you know, these things are important to human life. And although Ancient Mage's Bride definitely dabbles in some like romantic language that I think kind of hampers the message sometimes, both Iriduko and Ancient Mage's Bride, I think both really deal in very human, real ideas of like, Again, like self-understanding and self-care and self-love that I think are really important in just like dramatic narratives. Hell yeah. Yeah. And then the last one is Night is Short, Walk On Girl, which um, we talked about Devilman Crybaby a little bit before. I think uh, Masaki Yuasa, again, just as he's gotten into like bigger projects outside of like TV production, 
has really been able to flex his creative muscles within his studio. And so I think Night of Short Walk on Girl is just like a fantastic display of that, especially returning to the world of Tomohiko Morimi, who wrote Tatami Galaxy. Like, it goes right back into that same sort of style that Yuasa used for that series and expands upon it and builds upon it in this sort of fascinating way in a story that is tangentially related to that one, but still tells its own story within the same world. And it's just between that and like a lot of the other stuff he's worked on, like um, Lou over the wall, I think he just, he stands as almost an auteur within, within anime just to be able to do his own thing. Like he is in a lot of ways discarded sort of like traditional anime like concepts and like really built something out that is his own and he's getting really popular off of it. And I think just again, Night of Short Walk on Girl really is like a culmination of all those things in a way that's just fascinating. And I absolutely adore the movie and the story it tells of like emotional intimacy and sort of like just even when it's like a fun romping sort of like bar hop basically through the the magical world of Tokyo. I think it, it's it's just very fascinating. And again, Masaki Yuasa just has such a way with uh, the visualization of his work. And what more can you want? I mean, kind of, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So, Jordan, where, where are you sitting with your number one prestige anime? All right. So, for me, uh, the number one pick is going to have to be Hanebado, which even while I was uh, like setting up this list, I didn't expect. Because while I did like it a lot, it just didn't have that, that big confetti popping moment that made me think, wow, this really is it. When I started thinking about it, it was just a really well-made, really powerful show with just good scenes and a good story and good characters. And no show this year had better scenes and stories and characters than Hanebato did for me. And I guess, you know, if you just look at it metrically, that's... That's what the best anime of the year is, so that's what I'm going to go for. It's it's mm-hmm. a really good one, and I highly recommend anybody watch it, pretty much. Alright. It took a bit of time to actually come to this conclusion for me, because I really liked all five of these shows, but I think I have to go with, uh, with Planet With. Because on, like, on reflection, I realized that its main theme of being able to empathize with others and trying to break the cycle of conflict is a message that's really important in this day and age, and the pacing at which this show delivers that message is just fantastic. It, it's, it, you said it earlier, but it really feels like a two-season anime crammed into one, and I but really... But in a good way. Yeah, in a good way. Yeah. Like, it captures so many facets of that particular argument about empathizing and understanding your enemy, and, like, the way that revenge is kind of unfulfilling when you don't have that sort of, like, emotional understanding of, you know, what's going on. Yeah, it all just co- comes together to form a nice, cohesive whole that I really just kind of want to spread the word about it, more so with just not a lot of people knowing that this anime exists. Yeah, I feel like it really went under the radar, despite having an author who's, like, pretty well-regarded, just, like, Lucifer and Biscuit Hammer is not, like, a household name in the same way, and so I think Planet With similarly kind of went under the radar. Yeah. But yeah, it's that's probably my anime of the year. And then my prestige anime, because I'm a sap, is uh, Iriduku. I I just really appreciate the narrative, and I think Iriduku does capture it in such a way that captures multiple different perspectives on 
the idea of feeling completely stuck in your life and sort of hating yourself and the ways that they these characters all are able to push forward thanks to having a support group and people they can talk about these sorts of things and like again it's not particularly subtle uh, to the point where in the last episode sort of the the big final emotional catharsis is literally the main character just asking am i allowed to be happy when you know when there's still so much like grief in her life but that still tells such a powerful story about you know how it feels is like you don't have to wallow in all this grief like it is okay to be happy even though these things have happened and so i i really i really loved that particular story that it told and the way that it told it and you know what being subtle isn't is not an inherent virtue you know sometimes right no absolutely being out and about is just the way it's supposed to be yeah i'm not i'm not saying that's bad it's just like you can look at it and kind of like roll your eyes a little bit because it's like oh well of course but like no, it it it's genuine and straight to the point, and I think that benefits it a lot, even among sort of its flowery language. Yeah. Sometimes subtext is for cowards. Exactly. Absolutely. <laughs> and finally, our best light anime. Let's get right into it. And Jordan, we'll start again. All right. Uh, so it's almost midnight, which means I'm about to turn back into an anime pumpkin. <laughs> so I have to quickly rush through this so I can uh, get into bed and drink my chocolate milk, which is how I reverse the process. <laughs> First on the list, place further in the universe. Uh, I struggled with whether to put this here in prestige anime because it is occasionally about some pretty heavy themes like depression and not really knowing what like whether life is worth living and if like putting on a happy facade uh, is the right thing. But all in all, I put it here because at the end of the day, it is still a cute girls doing cute things show. And it's a very, very good one at that. Uh, like, the, the whole story arc is just super engaging. Um, the, the character interactions are great. It's a, it's a really funny show. I think this was a really good year for comedy anime, and especially when it comes to comedic timing. And this show was one of the best examples of that. So there's that. Then second, like, sort of carrying on from that is uh, Yuru Camp. Um, just which was just a great show to sort of like sit on the couch and turn into a big molten blob of happiness too. <laughs> Similar to a place further than the universe, uh, fantastic comedic timing. Like I still see uh, the videos of like the dog not being able to reach Rin because of the collar and her smiling, and then her getting like body checked by the other dog, and it still makes me laugh. <laughs> just a, a super funny and super cute anime. That's really all there is to say about that. Yeah, Laid Back Camp is such a good, feel-good series. Like, totally. nothing about- There's, like, zero conflict, and honestly, that's fine for what it is, <laughs> like- Definitely. Well, the conflict is whether or not they're gonna get Rin to go camping with them. Right, and they did. It's great. See, everything works out great. Hell yeah. Then I have uh, Gakwin Babysitters. This one, I think, is really fun because, like, obviously, uh, babies are cute. <laughs> well, sometimes. And what I think they did really well in this show is making the, the babies, or well, they're not babies, they're like preschoolers, actually, like, sort of act like real preschoolers. Like, they have, you know, they have strange priorities, and sometimes they react weirdly to certain things. Uh, there's one episode that I really liked where, uh, where one of the preschoolers really hurts one of the other one's feelings, but they refuse to make it better 
because they just don't want to be wrong. So they double <laughs> down on it and make it even worse. And that's just, that's such a real preschooler thing. Uh, and they managed to do all that and still make it into a super fun, cute anime. And that's just fantastic. And then uh, fourth on my list, uh, very different in tone from the rest of these, is Skullface Books on Honda-san. Hell like yeah. A, f- a fantastic comedy anime about working in a bookshop in Japan. I love the way this show has like a double layer of reality because it's based on the characters like real life. And then things that happen, or it's based on the writer's real life, rather, and things that happened in real life because of the manga sort of make a reappearance in the series. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Those are some great jokes. Absolutely. Like, the whole series is, is there's just like basically never a dull moment, except for, like, the first episode, which has, like, a really weird extended homophobic segment in it. Um, but other than that, it's just, like, fantastic, super funny the whole way through. Uh, they use the limited animation to their benefit. And just like the visual humor of this show is really funny. Uh, and then my final entry, which is, I guess, kind of like uh, the, the just play along entry because I didn't really have a fifth one. Um, mm-hmm. It's Grand Blue, a diving show, uh, which was just like a really cool, fun show about hanging out with your friends and having a fun time in the water. Ain't nothing better. Ain't no, yeah, ain't nothing wrong about that. And the winner's Yuru Camp because it was the cutest and funniest show of the, of the year. Nice. All right. Well, thank you for joining us again, Jordan. Uh, didn't expect it to go this long, but you know, no. uh, <laughs> happy accidents. <laughs> Thanks for joining us again. Uh, glad you could uh, be here to talk about this. And uh, we wish, wish you the best of luck as you turn into a pumpkin for another year. And maybe we call on you again. Well, at least I'll be able to survive until Halloween, hopefully. Oh, after phew. that, we'll see what happens. All right. right. Uh, thanks, thanks for having me. And yeah, no problem. Enjoy yeah. the rest of the podcast, everybody. All right. Have a good evening. Thank you. All right. So, on my best light anime, we have Lupin the Third, Part Five. God, what a. The last two seasons of Lupin have just been so incredible. Just really adored the action, really adored the storytelling, because it really does push Lupin into. I think a more proper gentleman thief where he's more of a good guy. Like they've taken, a, they've taken away a lot of the teeth and like, that's fine because a lot of the teeth to Lupin was like kind of being a weird sex pervert. So I really appreciate him turning more into basically like James Bond. <laughs> <laughs> like he really has turned into sort of like a spy who occasionally steals things. And I'm totally cool with that. Like, I think Lupin's it's a really good job. There's been, there were great character moments for all of the main cast within this and just like the the new character like i really enjoyed rebecca from part four i think ami is like just is a much more fully realized character in terms of the relation to lupon and the storytelling through it because she ties in so well to to the narrative arc and yeah lupon the third is just like it was so much fun and again with the the throwback episodes to like other parts like just seeing the way that lupon has evolved and the way the comedy has changed while still maintaining that very, like, goofy, fun action sort of setup. Yeah, I put Lupin the Third Part 5 down as well, and I I really enjoyed seeing Lupin in a much more modern setting, with just, you know, technology playing an active role in all of Lupin's schemes, and we also got maybe a little peek into Lupin's past with the reveal of old rival, I guess, Alfred? 
who mm-hmm. is himself a very interesting character, and it feels like he's going to be, like, the central villain of a part six or another mini or an OVA if they decide to do that. It Lupin is just such a blast to watch, and they manage to just nail everything about it. It's it's just a fun show. And some other stuff that, like, we, we went over in the review thing, but it's been a while, so, like, you know, the, the callbacks to old movies and stuff, like, the fact that they hide out in the castle of Cagliostro. Yeah. The end, and, like, just stuff like that, and the fact that, like, at the very end, supposedly, Lupin pulls off his fucking face. Like, his whole face has been a facade, too, as if Lupin III, like James Bond, is just a title passed down. And we sort of get that. We get that Lupin is. But it seems like Lupin III might also be that, because it's implied that that face is like a facade. So it always knows how to pull back, like, mm, you still don't know everything about Lupin now, do you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Even they reveal more is great. Yeah, that that was such a strong conclusion to that little character arc between Lupin and Fujiko. Yeah, absolutely. I had laid back camp as well. Um, I put Mr. Gona, Mr. Tonegawa Middle Management Blues on here as a comedy series that I think really hit the balance of like kaiji fan service for like giving you insight into that world, especially where uh, Tonegawa is like a primary player in the story, and also like just being like a good office comedy. Like <laughs> the the fact that like they they pull a hundred percent away from the kaiji storyline to tell a story where like Tonegawa uh, Tonegawa and his company are being trolled online. So he has to learn how to fight back by learning how to tweet memes and shit and, like, learn how to draw anime fan art to, like, draw in fans is just fantastic. Like, stuff like that really, really charms me, and I think it does a good job, again, of, like, building on the kaiji world and, like, pulling some of the teeth out of, like, the the menace without completely, like, making it seem like it's just completely goofball and they've ruined the, the original that it's based off of. Um, speaking of kaiji, I'm putting Animal World on here. Yes, it is a live-action movie, but it is an adaptation of kaiji, and I think it's really important to talk about this, because it's an adaptation of kaiji's first arc, where the main guy is still, like, kind of down on his luck, but one, he has a girlfriend, which is very different from kaiji, and two, he's got this, like, this, like, reaction to when he's stressed out, where, um, within his mind, he turns into a giant fucking clown and starts, like, fighting other people who he envisions as monsters, like fucking, like, men in black aliens. I'm sorry, Just what? out of nowhere. It has no explanation, really, besides I used to watch this show about a, a like, a, a clown who would, like, shoot people, and then this became my alternate persona when I get too stressed out and become super cool. So, like... Oh, like the quiet man! Exactly. <laughs> 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 but, like... This this one's way this is way cooler than the Quiet Man. And it like doesn't explain it. It like has it it follows kind of a different arc to tell its own sort of like a story within the confines while not changing too many um like details about the actual kaiji story. And I'm really hoping it gets a sequel just to like build on this because it also has um famed American actor Michael Douglas as like the Tonegawa fill-in, which is really good. Like it's just, oh, it's just such a good Oh, it's such a good movie, and God bless. I, I love it so much for just being, like, the most extra way you could adapt to Kaiji while adding it the <laughs> own elements in to, like, differentiate it and make it unique and tell its own story where it's, like, technically its own world. I absolutely adore it. And then the final one is Double Decker, Doug and Kirill for, when we talked about it, it's like, it's, it's kind of like uh, Tiger and Bunny. It's very goofy, sort of, like, buddy cop sort of stuff that 
kind of gets weirdly serious at the end out of nowhere. But like the characters and the interactions they have are just so good and so entertaining. Like it is so consistently funny in a way that like cannot be denied. It's it's a fantastic show as far as like buddy cop stuff. And like the narrator is so good in it, just like in like uh, Tonegawa. I think this year has been very good for like comedy narrators. Yeah. Yeah, I put down Double Decker as well for basically the same reasons. It's it's a very dumb, goofy police procedural that has some very strong characters in it, and basically almost everybody gets an episode, and it's great. And the left-field plot twist when it gets serious <laughs> is also great for a completely different reason. And also the point where it's like, um, we did actually, like, uh, we did actually set up this plot twist, so, uh, fuck you if you don't like it, basically, <laughs> is very good. Yeah, yeah, Double Decker is just a lot of fun, and I, I'm kind of curious to see what the Tiger and Bunny team is gonna do next, because it show because this showed that they have just really strong ability to write comedy, and I- I'm glad they haven't lost it since Tiger and Bunny. Mm-hmm. And then I guess I'm jumping into my own stuff. Uh, I'll start off with What's Cooking at the Emias, which is just what I called it. Uh, it has a much sillier title, but it's uh, it's just a, a light cooking anime starring the cast of Fate Stay Night. And it's just really nice and pleasant to watch these characters not murdering each other and just see them cook up a nice meal every day. And it's just fantastically animated as well. It's if you like Fate as a series, then I'd say you really should watch this because it's just, it's really charming and cute. And I, I had a lot of fun with it. And then I've got Hina Matsuri, which I mentioned before. It's this story of how, of this weird Esper child that meets a Yakuza member and how basically he adopts her. And it's just, it has some very, very strong character based comedy, like double decker, but it doesn't have a serious plot thread running through it, but it does have a lot of individual character arcs, and those are surprisingly well done for a more comedy-focused show. It, I, I mentioned Anzu earlier, but her arc from essentially living with the homeless to getting adopted by a family to her being the nicest and sweetest person ever is just so heartwarming that it may make that it may make you melt. It. It's amazing how the show manages to deliver a fantastic balance between really well-done comedy and really heartwarming moments. I I cannot recommend Hinamatsuri enough. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then the last thing I put down here is Pop Team Epic for just being a fucking mess that more often than not managed to make me laugh at this just dumb, irreverent humor. I don't know if we discussed this that well, but uh, one of the big dumb gimmicks of Pop Team Epic is that they repeat the episodes are only 12 minutes long, but they repeat the second half with male VAs, and it's different for every episode. And the amount of VAs that they get for this dumb idiot gag is incredible. And really like high profile people, right? It's not like they're just pulling in like side characters. They're pulling in like Aoyuki, right? (laughs) I don't remember if she was part of it, but I do know that, like, they got M. Bison's VA and Frieza's VA to to do stuff, and... Yeah, and they, they like, were pretty, like, well-picked out where it's like, 
these are actual duos from some other show, which is really good, too. Yeah, like, there's so much effort that they put into this dumb, goofy joke anime that it it's just impressive to see it all come together, and it it's also really funny too. I will I will never stop thinking about Hellshake Yano. It should not have existed, but it did. And God bless. Yeah. And so, uh my best light anime <laughs> just like it did uh several years ago, Luvon the Third just grabbed my heart and wouldn't let go. Like I think of all the shows, this was always the one that I was like most excited to come to each week. Because, like, the plots were always so, like, incredibly good, where it's like, you don't know where it's going in, like, the best way possible. Like, you know it's going to build, but you don't know how. Or it's a side story that has, like, a lot of entertainment value. Like, I really like the one where Lupin is, like, called out by an eccentric to play a chess game with him. And all the while, um, uh, Jigen is having a fucking sniper fight with someone who, like, supposedly, like, worked with him back when they were in the army together. Super good. Yeah. And then my pick is Hinamatsuri for just being really heartwarming, being really funny, having really good character-based humor, and just just being a, a joy to watch every week. I, I really love Hinamatsuri. It's so good. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's the one that, like, very early on was, like, a big pick for anime of the year for everyone. Just, you know, for being so funny and also so heartfelt. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad I watched it. It was, it was a real treat. And so that brings an end to our award show. Maybe after a bit longer than we expected, but you know, <laughs> we got there. <laughs> Thank you for enduring all of the anime. Yeah, no, we had a lot to say. And you know what? I think... Despite how long it took, I think it was all good. I think we we had some good stuff to say, and I think this was a very good year for anime. Yeah, yeah. Like there were definitely there were definitely series that rose to the top a lot more. Like you see Megalobox a lot more and stuff like that. But like, it just shows how good those shows are. I think like in a year that has so much and like so much diverse sort of taste to it. Like I'm gonna go really quickly through some of the AOD stuff from our fans and just kind of talk about the series that match up and like don't. It's so, like Fractal Sandwich says "Bloom into You" is the anime of the year, which is like, I guess like the new big sort of like Yuri romance series that, in a ways like kind of like Sweet Blue Flowers, deals with relationships in a very mature way that like transcends beyond just fluff romance and just like kind of wish fulfillment sort of stuff like you see in a lot of the genre especially like earlier on um so i think that's really fantastic that that came out especially amongst series from this year like citrus you know like it's really nice to have a good one and then also says um honorable mentions to review starlight and gun gale online and the princess principal dub which i guess will count here that's okay i forgot that they were gonna dub princess principal yeah it's it's surprising but hopefully that means that we're gonna get more of it it's all we can hope. Yeah. Then, um, Fractal Sandwich also says that, uh, Release the Spice gets the most deserving of a video game adaptation award, which maybe I could see. It'd be interesting to see. I feel like there are a lot of, um, games and, like, uh, Blu-rays coming out that have, like, weird, like, 8-bit mini games attached to them. Like, I know the, the latest Steinsgate did in Japan. I know, um, Chio's School Road had, like, a mini game on one of its Blu-rays. So, like, 
I wonder if that that's eventually just going to turn into getting more weird anime game adaptations. They are coming back. Especially with more popping up in the West. Yeah, there seems like a, there's just a lot more coming out. Um, then we have Shaded Sprider, who only <laughs> who watched exactly five anime. And so we have Devilman Crybaby, Gungale Online, Zombieland Saga, Magical Girl Sight, and the Neo Yokio <laughs> Pink Christmas episode. <laughs> Neo Yokio's back, folks! <laughs> <laughs> uh waffle man says in no particular order we have pop team epic golden wind which for us we're still waiting for the end to officially vote on the award but golden wind has had a very strong start part five is a lot better than i think people give it credit for and maybe and a lot of that i think is probably the the original translation yeah i'm surprised how much i'm loving part five now that you know it's just it flows a lot better mm-hmm I also love that the Italian subs for it absolutely refuse to do the Demolta. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, actually translate like it should be. Uh, then Double Decker, Megalobox, and uh, Loop on the Third Part 5. Binak just adds that the best boy of the year is definitely Honda-san, which I can agree. Very good skeleton boy. Extremely good. Psychobabble says Devilman Crybaby, um... Love is Hard for an Otaku, which I've heard a lot of really good things as, like, an adult romance series, and I've really wanted to go back to that at some point. Um, Hina Matsuri, Pop Team Epic, and Loop on the Third Part 5. Um, the Toughest Bean notes that it seemed that the best animes this year were the ones that came from a position of really loving the genre or series they came from, and then, uh, in no particular order, gives us Megalobox, which definitely fits that, uh, Loop on the Third Part 5, Planet With, SSSS Gridman and Thunderbolt Fantasy, which are all just sort of like, they feel like love letters to a particular genre or craft for sure. I can definitely agree with that. And then friend of the show QB uh, has Hugto Precure, uh, Review Starlight, Pop Team Epic, uh, Number 4 is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which we can allow that. It's animated. It is extremely animated. Uh, Penny Parker's there, that's anime. And then for an anime part four, uh, number four, it's Agretzko, and then Hakame, uh, Hakame and Mikochi, which is, like, a really, like, obscure one. It's like, again, we, we see that there's a, there is a breadth of shows that people were really excited about this year. It's just, like, there are definitely some that bubbled to the top that were more popular and definitely, like, captured more people. And I think it's cool that we have such a, a breadth and spread of shows like this. And that will do it. For our anime of the year podcast for 2018. <laughs> Woo! Close the book. It's done. <laughs> and because this took so long to take out, um, the the rest of the um, programming for this season is going to be a little off base. So um, follow us at at Coco Disaster on Twitter to keep an update on when like kind of how the schedules are shifting and when the episodes are coming out and we will figure that out later so until then i hope you've enjoyed our long discussion about the anime of the year and hope you will join us again for whatever the next show comes out until then i've been chorps away and i've been zane zero and jordan kai was with us too and this has been coco disaster sweet dreams (laughs) 